Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Sequel Quest. We're glad you're joining us and we have something extra special here. If you've been listening uh, to the show since the beginning, that's awesome, but you have not heard this. This is episode zero where we were still figuring out the format, all the all the you know technical uh, parts and pieces, but we covered an awesome film, 1985's The Goonies. So we were discussing how we would conceive a sequel uh, to that awesome film. So take a listen and enjoy. Welcome to Sequel Quest P.O.D., the podcast that dares to dive into the cinematic realms of infinite possibility with your intrepid hosts, Jeff, Justin, Jeremy, and Adam. Let the adventure begin now! Welcome, welcome one and all to the inaugural episode of Sequel Quest P.O.D., we are so glad that you could join us, whether you're from a, uh, a galaxy far, far away, some alternate dimension, or an underground subterranean kingdom. We're just glad to have you here listening. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, I, who knows what brought you here? Who knows how you found our, our lovable uh, podcast here? But we hope that you enjoy the, the discussion and the journey that we're all about to take. Uh, my name is Adam. Uh, a small section of the internet might know me by my pen name, Hoju Coolander. I kind of run and write in the circles of a retro pop culture of the 80s and 90s, currently a featured writer on RetroDays.org. Very fun site. Go in, join that community. Visit uh, daily. You'll be very, very entertained. So it is my duty and my great pleasure to introduce you to the other members of the Sequel Quest POD crew, who will, in fact, be joining us on this journey of many weeks, months, years, possibly centuries. There are a lot of movies out there, after all. Uh, I would like to bring on board uh, to, sh- to introduce you to a gentleman. Uh, if we're going with Star Trek references here, he would be like the Dr. McCoy. He is the bones of our crew. F- many opinions. He may, in fact, be the commander of opinions, bringing them to us good, bad, indifferent he's got something to say this is jeff wow so i'm kind of hung up on the idea that somehow bones mccoy was the commander of opinions on star trek that's really what i'm thinking about here i'm sure i'm sure you are thank you jeff all right now uh if if we're sticking with our star trek metaphor uh if, if we have a bones we also have to have a scotty so we do in fact have our our chief engineer the man who is pulling all the strings behind the scenes, who has made uh, technically everything we're doing here possible. Jeremy, give us a hey, how you doing? Thank you, boss. (laughs) Very nice. Hey, I am Jeremy. I am glad to be here, and I will hopefully be along for the long haul on this ride. Here we go. All right, well, that's the crew for now. We are uh, a bare-bones crew of three, but we did want to let you know that uh, as the weeks go on, we will have uh, special guests joining us, uh, guest hosts here and there to bring their opinions and ideas to this experience, and that truly is what it is. Now, you may be wondering in your mind, what is this all about? 
Hopefully you're a movie lover if you've come to listen to us. And that's really what we're going to be discussing here is the whole premise of our of our mission is to discover the untapped potential of our favorite film franchises. So whether it, it was a full series of films or perhaps it was a standalone that really never mined all the possibilities, didn't give us the the details that we wanted the continuing saga that we were expecting and we believe that in some alternate reality that did occur and now we're going to tap into those ideas and bring them to you so each week we'll be discussing a different film uh, or franchise and what we're going to be doing with that is each of the hosts is going to come in with their own pitch for a sequel or a prequel and so we'll be discussing our pitches and working together to come up with a cohesive plot. So we're kind of like a live writer's room that you're sitting in on. And with that, we'll take it, once we have that plot in place, we take it beyond, okay? Now we're talking about casting. Then we move into the marketing strategy. What kind of promotional tie-ins are are we gonna have? Merchandising. What are we talking about for a soundtrack? So really, it's like having a a little mini movie studio that we're all working together. And we're hoping that you'll be along for the ride as well. You can plug in with us on on social media, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, You can jump onto the website as well. Just leave your comments, leave your ideas, and hopefully it's going to inspire you maybe to create some some fan art or use your talents and bring some of these uh, visions and concepts to life. Now, all that being said, you're probably asking yourself, all right, so are you guys professional writers? Uh, Are you published novelists? Why would we be listening to you? Well, the the quick answer is we're none of those things. Uh, However, we are a a group of movie lovers, uh, movie enthusiasts, uh, cinephiles. I mean, I I think we're we're all pretty obsessed and have a a fairly uh, good knowledge of what's what's come out of Hollywood and and, you know, international cinema probably here and there uh, throughout the years. And so we just are, are bringing that enthusiasm and that, and that love of, of movies uh, to, our, to our ideas. Now, that being said as well, uh, we are uh, hoping to, to bring you a, a certain sense of professionalism. Okay, so we're, we're going to push that for you. We're going to do our best to make it fun, to make it, you know, something real. And uh, again, this is really just a group of friends hanging out, having a discussion. So... You know why I'm here. Really, this was all my idea. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of the kind of guy that when I come up with an idea, I say, let me just bring my friends along for the ride. So maybe why don't we ask Jeff? Why did you decide to jump on board? Yeah, well, one, uh, obviously, Adam and I have been friends. Well, not obviously, but uh, just to let everyone else know, Adam and I have been friends since high school. So we've been friends for a long time. And so, as he said, quite often in his endeavors, he brings his friends along. And this is the multiple time that I've been brought along. Uh, But also, uh, I do share uh, a passion for movies and movies. uh, especially with sequels and prequels and reboots that are very, very frequent in Hollywood today. I, 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 feel, I have very strong feelings about that because a lot of times I, f- I feel like they're made poorly 
uh, or for the wrong reasons, and fans end up very disappointed. So uh, to have an opportunity to just extend that discussion and to talk about what should be done. And I mean, is it going to make an impact? Is anyone actually going to listen and make a change? Who knows? But at the very least, we can start that dialogue and get that, that ball rolling. Great. Thank you, Jeff. Now, Jeremy, what has uh, possessed you to stick it out as long as you have in this, this conceptual process of the podcast? I jumped on board just because, you know, you don't always get an opportunity like this to start, sharing what you think on movies without having some sort of connection like I used to. And so this is kind of an outlet for me. I mean, I used to go watch movies on media premieres and then talk about them on the radio for hundreds of thousands of people here in Phoenix. And since that opportunity has since disappeared, I've been looking for something like this. So, you know, why not talk to the five or ten people that listen to this and share my thoughts yeah and hey if those five or ten people tell five or ten people that that's 10 or 20 people and I'll, and I'll be happy with that if we get at least 20 I'm not listeners sure that you've done this math correctly <laughs> yeah no math wasn't a strong suit it's definitely not that's that's really where we're i'm a right-brained person that's what we're bringing yeah. to this that's and uh <laughs> And by the way, just just so you say, we we going back to the concept: Are we professional writers? Are we are we anything? Is anything going to come of this? You know, you never know. Like Jeremy said, there there's the possibilities out there. I believe that we are at a time and place here in this 21st century, where the people, the consumers, the movie fans, the people in the audience actually do have the ability now to kind of push Hollywood in the direction they need to go. I I believe that. Through this small effort, you have the ability as a listener uh, to take control of what you want to see. Again, who knows who will listen to this? Who knows who will pick up an idea here and there? Uh, and maybe the next Transformers won't be as terrible. You know what I'm saying? There's, there's endless possibilities of what we're going to come up with. And the future is bright in terms of uh, putting your stamp on things. So, so we again, we thank you for being a part of this. And uh, I think it's about time that we jumped on into the show. Uh, We are covering this week a film from 1985, The Goonies, directed by Richard Donner, uh, starring a cast, a very memorable group of child actors, some who have gone on to bigger and better things, some who... Like Jonathan (laughs) Kee-Kwan. Oh, so, so we're gonna jump on him right away, <laughs> Jonathan Keyquad. Everyone, he was he was the best one, but yeah. yeah well, and then happened. and then you have Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. Hey. Yeah, dude, he's the king of things. Yeah, Corey Feldman had his run, and now Josh Brolin is the most powerful person in Marvel. So you know, Thanos. Yeah, I mean, you never they, know. They've done some. They've done some amazing things. So. Uh, now, with that, uh, what we're going to be doing here is we're going to take a look at what it was. Now, I, I think the sequel to Goonies may be like one of the most hotly anticipated 
films of the 80s that people have been waiting for where it's literally been 30 years of talk oh there's gonna be a yeah it's been more of a teaser than anything for all this time until now it's gaining some steam again so they say last year richard donner started announcing oh we're working on a concept we're putting it all together Corey feldman and sean astin are out there doing interviews oh yeah it's gonna happen it's gonna happen we're ready to do it you know yeah. is what the, all the actors have said but until I see a teaser trailer, until I see a synopsis on IMDb, <laughs> I really, I just don't know that I can accept that there's actually going to be a sequel. So it falls onto us to yeah. conceive it. Uh, but before we get into that, for the few of you out there who either were not born when the Goonies came out or you have not caught up with it, <laughs> let us just give you a quick synopsis of what the film is about. It was yeah. basically Super 8. If you've seen Super 8, it's basically the same movie. Except oh, better. Yeah, except except <laughs> lovable, and uh, you, you know you, you actually wanted to sit through it for an hour and 30 minutes. So uh, A live-action sloth was much better than a uh, CGI one would have been. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, but yeah, the, CGI anything. Yeah, the, the, basic, the basic premise of the film is that a, a family of mobsters, the Fratellis, breaks out of prison. All right, they hide out in an abandoned restaurant. Meanwhile, there's a group of outcast kids uh, who call themselves the Goonies who are now fighting for their property. It's never 100% clear exactly what is happening there, but their <laughs> land seems to have been purchased by some land developers, and they are in mass being no, moved No, no, hold on, properties. hold on. I, I, I did rewatch this last night. And it's the country club owners that are buying up their housing property, more than likely going to put like the edge of a golf course down there. Course. Yeah, they, yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. That that was the that was the vibe I got from it. But we never know. Like, what is the fate of their homes? I feel like it's just like we're they're selling our homes. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah. But, but that's enough of a catalyst where you feel bad for the kids and you know they have a just cause, mostly because we hate rich people. Yeah. Right. So and so uh, anyway, what happens is the the kids decide to go off for one last adventure. They uh, find a treasure map that leads them to uh, the pirate ship of One-Eyed Willie. So One-Eyed Willie's gold is there, and they believe that they get the, quote, rich stuff that they can save their their homes. Uh, but it just so happens that the entrance to that uh, cave of wonders is, uh, is where the Fratellis are currently making their hideout. So now the kids are in there. Uh, and on, they're being chased by the Fratellis, who are all now uh, aware of the pursuit of gold. They catch up with a, a monster that is chained up in the basement, the Fratellis' uh, deformed child brother, yes. and brother, yeah, Sloth. And ultimately, it leads to a big showdown on the pirate ship, uh, and... There is a, a grand uh, exodus uh, from the cave as explosions and booby traps and everything else that they've survived. No, those are yeah. booty traps. Yeah, booty traps. Booty traps. Booty traps. And, uh, and so at the end of the film, the, everybody's on the beach. The Fratellis are apprehended. The kids are able to thwart the final signing of the contracts for the land ownership because a bag of marbles was filled with jewels. that was just enough, apparently. And was forgotten about. Yeah. I mean. 
and uh, and that was that. So that uh, why why is it exactly that the everything for those that have seen the movie? Why is everything p- pivoting on the dad signing this contract? Why why if he doesn't want to move, why doesn't he just not sign it? Yeah, or or on or on, and he's signing it apparently on behalf of everybody else's home. <laughs> exactly. So, so he's like the own the the lead man of the HOA. Yeah, it's like Mikey's the leader of is. the Goonies. His dad is the leader of the adults. Apparently, Mr. Walsh. I don't. I don't. Yeah. Yeah, it and make a lot and the sense. treasure map is like his dad's that they find up in the attic. That right. it, his dad was a curator at a museum, which is weird. Why they have all these valuable items up in his attic for some reason <laughs> for storage. The museum went out of business or something. On, on the know. edge of the ocean. Now, <laughs> now we're yeah. finding some logic and plot holes here. <laughs> However, this is a beloved film by many. And uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Let, let's kind of hear uh, our history, each of us. Let's kind of just talk about where did you become aware of the Goonies? Are you a fan? What's kind of your favorite moment? Uh, Jeff, why don't you go ahead with that? Yeah, well, and I think that's, that's a great point that you bring up because I, I feel like what and and it's almost like it's something that had to be made in the 80s because today people do exactly what we were just doing they nitpick and they look for potholes and they do that to such an incredible degree that it's like it a lot of times studios i think don't even go for a movie that can't that has such things whereas like this movie i think was not it was not a movie that was designed for, yeah, this incredibly detailed and complex plot that everything, you know, would uh, really enthrall the viewer. It was something that was just, it was a, it was a kind of like childhood dream. I mean, for me, I was five years old when this came out, and I probably didn't see it until I was like eight or nine or something like that. And it was basically the movie was every kid's fantasy. Where it was, you get together with all of your friends and you go on this adventure where something's on the line. You're trying to save your family. You're going to be the hero and blah, blah, blah. They do this whole, like, they're going spelunking through the caves and they find all of this. You know, the, even the 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 one scene where they, they, like, fall down the water slides or whatever it is. And these water slides lead them down into the, like, every kid watching that was like, that was so cool. I want to do that and find a, and find a, uh. Uh, uh, find a pirate ship down there at the end and everything, um, which is one of the things too that I think Richard Donner was the perfect person to direct this because he's so that's exactly what he wanted to do. He got these child actors and that that one of those like I guess it's not little known fact anymore. It's kind of like the fact that everybody knows I guess is that there were certain elements in the movie that he concealed from the kids because he wanted to get their initial actual reaction. So none of the kids had actually seen the pirate ship until that moment on film because he wanted to get the, the kid's reaction of seeing a pirate ship because every kid would love to see a pirate ship. And for me, I think that's what made this movie so great was that exact sense of wonder and that, like, again, it's a childhood adventure that every kid would love to go on. I don't want to jump ahead too much, but at the same time, like, Spielberg co-wrote this. Like, this was a big thing, and... I was kind of sidelined that he didn't uh, he didn't actually get behind and direct it. Maybe he's kind of like from the shadows directing. Like, I'm sure I'm sure he had a lot of influence as a as a producer and, and a co writer. Yeah, in that, and and in the way. authentic reactions he got from the kids, as you were saying, Jeff, is great for looking on film. I I 
saw it when I was much younger. Uh, this came out when I was negative two. So, uh, so not really. Yeah. I wasn't there at the premiere <laughs> that I know of. But that's for another time. Um, then, uh, yeah, I growing up, like seeing it, I there were times that you could see that you wanted to be smooth like mouth was. Others, you knew the moments when you were chunk. <laughs> like, that happens. Like, not everybody truffle shuffled you, but you, you still like. <laughs> we all tried. Yeah, we all tried. <laughs> the lucky few actually got to. No. Um, and then we all kind of wanted to have that nonchalance that uh, the brand had. He wasn't even trying and got the girl. Like, that's that's kind of the dream there. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I would totally agree with that. I think that just the personalities in the cast itself really allowed everybody to identify on some level with somebody. Um, now, in my case, I know that I, I must have seen the film uh, probably when I was about you know nine or ten. I'm sure I rented it at some point because I actually had my own group of Goonies in the seventh and eighth grade in junior high. Uh, is actually where my pen name comes from. We were called the Coolanders, and we actually were, we went around, you know, we were, I guess you would call us urban explorers on some level. <laughs> we all hung out at a park. We had a tree that was our base of operations, and then our big pursuit was always traveling into this tunnel that was like a drainage canal tunnel so we in for all those two years we were always like going farther and farther a little bit farther buying more equipment so we could make it farther in flashlights and torches we would make out of rubber cement you know hopefully so, your flashlights lasted longer yeah hopefully and uh, so it's just one of those things where i know i was inspired by this film but my real first conscious uh memory of it uh, it was actually in uh, 1996. I was taken by a friend uh, who, who was a couple years older than me, uh, who, but he was very, very in love with the whole concept of the Goonies. And he, uh, he took me to a midnight screening. So it was my first real exposure to the film and to midnight screenings in general. So there was probably like, you know, a hundred... 20-somethings that were just rowdy and loving it. It was this old theater that looked like it had not been renovated <laughs> since the 80s. So it was like a total time warp. It was just like, wow. this is probably what it was like going to see it in 1985. And plus, like, they all were, like, shouting out lines from the film at each other. And this one guy got up. He did the truffle shuffle. And, I, yeah. like I said, I, I have, like, only a vague recollection of the film. So when he did that, I was like, I wonder what that's about. Then I saw the film. I was like, oh, I get it now. Yeah. Um, but it was, just, it was just a really kind of magical atmosphere. And I, I just fell in love with the film at that point. And, uh, and, and from then on, I really have just it's it just kind of grown my appreciation for the film it's also the only film that my wife and i both agree on so oh, the okay. other night i put it in she's like what did you just put in goonies oh okay like like <laughs> she'll she'll accept it at any time i could put in the goonies and we could watch it you know so it's just i just think it is really a magical film and going back to that comment about super eight it really is. These kids are good-hearted, sweet kids, and they do do a little bit of cussing. They're a little bit rough around the edges here and there, kind of mean to each other sometimes. But you can t sense the heart, and and I just feel like that's what makes the movie special, and that's what's missing from so many 
films these days especially ones for kids where everybody's snarky and has attitude but you just never feel that sweetness and that truth well there's there's not a lot of chemistry happening amongst these kids in a lot of the shows today like there was almost a brotherly bond amongst these goonies because you know what they were all living in the same kind of scenario there in the neighborhood and so they were bonded by what they could do together really and that that really it, just makes a movie the authentic authenticity of it that's, that's beautiful that's beautiful well, the, the other thing too that i think is that especially in this era of the the early to mid 80s is that movies like this about like and i it made me think about when you were talking about how we were What'd you what'd you call yourselves? Neighborhood explorers, Adam? Ur- urban explorers. Urban explorers. There you go. <laughs> I don't know if you remember. There was actually a movie called The Explorers with yes. uh, River uh, Phoenix and was it River Phoenix? Yeah. Ethan Hawke. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. And they went into outer space and everything like that. Same thing. There was uh, Stand by Me. There was Flight of the Navig. No, what was it called? Yeah, Flight of the Navigator. Flight and- of the Navigator. There was an entire like this idea of kids going on adventures was was bankable at this point and what i think is neat for us now is there's something about the goonies specifically that i feel like like it maybe was the the cream of the crop where it was like i mean all those other movies were great and if you go back and watch them i mean there's some parts that you laugh at that are ridiculous and but it's just like goonies kind of like stands apart as as maybe the best of all of them and i feel like these days, uh, a lot of 20-somethings, maybe later 20-somethings, 30-somethings, it, it have almost that same response, Adam, that your wife does, where uh, when you say Goonies to a 20, 30-year-old, like, there's almost a uh, natural, oh, yeah, the Goonies, we love the Goonies, blah, 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 because it is kind of that childhood sort of a, a, a connection, I think. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So, and, and honestly, I think that's why there has been such fervor over the idea of a sequel. Some people, if you look at comments, like some people hate it. They do not want a sequel. It's a beautiful standalone film. Don't tarnish it. And other people like, I've been waiting my whole life to see the (laughs) the next installment of this and you have not provided it, Hollywood. Don't tease us unless you're serious. So I think that's, you know, that's why people love it so much. All all those reasons, you know, and more. Um, But uh, now I think we have the the opportunity really to get into the meat of the show. So each of us has been having our you know kind of searching our own thoughts and ideas as to what would be the ideal Goonies sequel. Really, where where does this go from from that ending that uh, was was so triumphant, a pirate ship going off into the into the early morning uh, ocean? So. But let's. Uh, why don't we just start off? Each of us now we're gonna we're gonna begin the pitching process. So each one of us is gonna have about ten minutes, if we need it, to pitch our our. Uh, or maybe film. like two. Like yeah, really. whatever it takes. Some <laughs> of us might have been preparing for this for weeks and uh, or years, yeah. decades. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, but why don't we, Mr. Jeremy? Why don't you go ahead and uh, share All right, with us your I will. Pitch. I will lead off with this pitch. We will definitely be doing a sequel because I don't think there's much to prequel other than like a Rugrat style prequel. Sequel style, we would... Now, I, I wasn't sure what our timeline was, but we're going to hop in the time machine, go back, and we're going to release this in 1990. Okay. So five years have passed, five natural years. 
all these kids are now high school right about to graduate and this would kind of be like the one last hurrah kind of film like everybody's graduating moving on to college leaving town graduating from Astoria High School like just kind of a little little more eh, we we all felt it at the end of high school like senior year was the big year um and and really having lived in the Pacific Northwest for most of my life uh being raised in Pendleton on the east side of Oregon I've been to the coast I've been through the forest and the mountains the next like big adventure twist that like everybody knows like nobody knew of one-eyed Willie before this th- this story got made up like we'd have to go a little more true to form we would have to send these kids off well these now adults off into the woods to go find db cooper's money you want to give us a really? background who is who is db cooper all right db cooper in the 60s he's the only unsolved airplane hijacking in all of our history in the u.s i have heard this story go like okay so he's on a plane the plane lands in seattle and he doesn't get off the plane he slips the pilots a note says i need no it was while they were in flight he slips the stewardess a note that says i've got a bomb i'm gonna blow the plane unless we land and get me two hundred thousand dollars i think it was well they land the fbi gives him the money they leave, they take back off, flying in a southeastern kind of kind of flight. So from Seattle down almost in line with Salt Lake, kind of. Well, before he hits the border of Washington and Oregon, all the pilots and the flight crew are all up front. He's in the back, and all of a sudden somebody comes back to check on him, and he's gone. He'd let down the stairs... There was a rear-loading aircraft. Wow. Let down the stairs, took his parachute, and jumped out with the cash. And they were in a massive storm. So there were rumors that possibly he never survived, that yeah, he, he just got lost, the money got lost. So there's $200,000 unaccounted for off in the woods somewhere. So nobody ever found him. Nobody ever found the money. Nothing. Nobody now, found is this, him. Is this like super well-known from your childhood? Like, does everybody talk about it in that I, part of the country? or Sort of. Like, it, it. it's brought up. Like, there's, from time to time, somebody will say, oh, they think they've found the real D.B. Cooper. Like, apparently it was two, three, four years ago they have reliable sources that they think they've closed the case now. So now where, where do the Goonies enter that picture? Where do they okay, decide to Okay, so the Goonies, they're looking for the one last hurrah. They don't have all of their houses going to be sold and they're going to lose it, so they want to do something together. And it's kind of like the bros camping trip, but, I mean, to do this in the 90s, that would have been the, the right time to do it. I mean, to do it nowadays, you couldn't really use this as a sequel because there, there was without a paddle. That kind of movie, just the guys going out on their last hurrah trip, and that one um, just not, not wild so hogs. Like, why would you need to do another one? Well, go, yeah, go, this... sorry, Jeff, Jeff. Jeff, go ahead. What was your comment? <laughs> you, you were a big fan of uh, Without a Paddle. I apologize. I didn't <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I wasn't a big fan, but it it had its laughs. It had its oh, moments, okay. but at the same time, I think with a different cast, 
and a different feel. Like those guys were just going out for raunchy humor. This this kind would have been more of true to form Goonies style. Is is there a big set piece you have in mind? Like do th- that they do find it, or is there a big moment where you're like, this is this is like kind of the the moment of the trailer that's going to draw people in. Aside from the fact that it's a Goonies sequel. Well, I. <laughs> I didn't have them actually finding it. Oh, okay. Leaving the mystery out there. And instead, there's a twist. They find Bigfoot. (laughs) Oh, awesome. Okay. I like that. That that sounds fun. Okay. So that's most of the story. And that would be the big twist at the end. They think they've found the money. And Mm -hmm. instead, they find something bigger. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Very nice. I like that. I like that. Okay. Now, uh, Jeff, what do you have for us? Well, initially, I would probably be in that that camp that would be anti-sequel because I feel like, kind of like you guys alluded to earlier, that um, to make a sequel, uh, you know, the the, the story ended, and it ended perfectly, and it's just to, to make a sequel in almost any way would alter what, what The Goonies actually was, like, it's interesting, like thinking about Jeremy's idea where it's kind of like doing a coming of age sort of a thing. It's almost like you could do three Goonies movies. You could do them as uh, teenagers. You could do them as 20 somethings. You could, you could do something like that where it's like a Goonies in, in, in each age, which then changes the franchise, I guess. It's not that story about the childhood you know that sort of the hurrah with the friends sort of a thing instead it's just about the bond between these people so for me again from what i feel like was the largest thing to come out of the goonies for me what i think the heart and soul of it was that childhood adventure so for me if they're going to make a sequel that's what you would need to do however Again, their story has ended. So to do like, oh, we're going to do a sequel where what happens after they find the treasure? It's like, no, no, it's it would be anticlimactic. So for me, the only way that I could see doing a sequel, and it would be real dicey, and it would probably not be, you would, yeah, you would have to do it really, really well, is you would do the old classic, The Children of the Goonies. And so it's like Goonies the Next Generation. And it'd be really tough because so often when those are done, it's just a horrible rehash of the same old, same old. But instead, what it would have to be, it was it would have to, it would it would almost be like, well, again, exactly that. Goonies for a new generation because it, this one then would be targeted at the twenty somethings and the 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 teens of this generation right now that didn't experience the Goonies or that when they watch the Goonies from '85, it's it's very retro. So instead, it's kind of like, okay, let's send them out on an adventure that, um, you know, the, the, the kids these days could actually get behind. Um, the difficult thing is, and that would be what would be so strange about this as a, as, a, as a sequel or as a movie, is this idea that so often today, a lot of these kids and a lot of the kids, even, you know, the teens and 20-somethings, they're not really physically active. The idea of going off an adventure with their ki- their friends, they don't do that anymore. They play Xbox with their friends. So it's kind of this idea of like doing an adventure. It would almost be like um, 
Are you saying Call of I'm, Duty starring the Goonies? Is that what it is? No, no, no. They are, they're all just sitting I, in their living room. And oh, no. Oh, no. On. Right. It's tempting, but for me, I feel like that. And again, this is why I feel like it would be very tricky. It would be about, it would still be an adventure, but that is kind of. It, instead of it being we're going to lose our houses and we're like the thing that nobody's talking about is that well I guess they talk about it a little bit but they don't really talk about the fact that we may never see each other again and that's kind of hanging over that's the reason for this adventure like you guys kind of mentioned it's this last hurrah and they don't really talk about it but that's kind of the reality of it yeah. so instead of it being that as the conflict the conflict is, or the the thing hanging over it is the fact that like we're thrust into the situation where we're actually physically doing something. And I, again, I, I wouldn't want it to go into like a red Dawn sort of a thing where it's like, okay, now we're being thrust into a real military situation. That we've only played video <laughs> games or something. The, yeah, North Cor- the North Koreans are invading uh, Astoria. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Just you wouldn't like want to go down region. that road because again, that's a whole different type of a genre. Uh, but I feel like that would be the only way, again, of capturing that same um, that same heart of that adventurous childhood, like childhood dream. Mm-hmm. And some of the elements might be a little bit different. But the interesting thing, and I think that's one of the reasons that Goonies has always transcend, like ha- continues to be such a cult, has such a cult following, is that those things, to a certain extent, are universal. Is that you come to a you know, a 12-year-old kid today, and you show them an awesome rock water slide that goes through all of these things, they're still going to think that's awesome. They thought it was awesome 20 years ago. They're still going to think it's awesome today. So there's certain things, but then there's other things that would have to kind of morph and change. Um, For me, I don't know. I would kind of disagree about finding – I do agree that there would have to be the – the light at the end of the tunnel, but I think it would have to be something like like you were saying with the uh, DB Cooper's uh, uh, lost money. For me, that's a little bit too much reality for the Goonies. I feel like the Goonies stay in the one-eyed Willie, blah 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 blah. Maybe not pirates this time, although pirates are certainly like a big seller these days. True, that that'd uh, be a great crossover. Yeah, just, actually, just bring in Disney and exactly. bring in Captain Jack Sparrow and. <laughs> and tie in that, that franchise. That would it's be a true. lot of fun. So, all right. So, so Jeff, really, what it sounds like on your end is your your focus is really kind of the feeling and the the premise and the attitude behind how the sequel should be handled. Not so much the plot points and this is the catalyst that leads to it. It's this is really the heart that we should have behind behind the the idea so that's great i I like that now uh, i i took a little bit of a different tact from from each of you a a little little different you got five pages there we we, we got we got five pages of uh my my synopsis for the film which i will i will run through now my my concept for a sequel i'm a sucker for continuity and uh like jeremy was saying with his where you talk about five years later five years later those kids they really are adults and when you're making a film like even in the music video goonies are good enough the kids look a little bit older than they did when they filmed the movie so you really have to move on that so in my in my idea of the sequel it's taking place in 1987 so they really they just rushed it into production and they said look we got we got to get another sequel out of or did this. they film it at the same time yeah <laughs> yeah they did. Well, hey sean astin has had that experience now right with lord of the rings but um uh, so the idea here is uh, is that 
and I'm again, I'm going to take you beat by beat here because I, I'm so excited about this. So there's an opening credits montage instead of like we had in the first film where it's the Fratellis driving around and you're introduced to the Goonies that way. We already know who they are. So what you see, it's an opening an opening montage that shows a man digging through the contents of an old trunk and it's marked property of Norman Copperpot and a recipient address to Victor Copperpot. And so the montage is flashing between the trunk's contents and then lines of a handwritten letter. And like there are phrases that kind of fade in and out like cursed pirate treasure, several expeditions, my father's fortune, the pursuit which cost him his life. You know, so, so you're seeing all that and but you just don't know what it is. It's just mysterious things, items that are being pulled out of the trunk. They're like hand-drawn maps and sketches of this weird key. There are a few of the doubloons like they found with One-Eyed Willie's treasure. They have the Astoria newspaper that, that it was in the first film that talked about Chester Copperpot's disappearance. And then there's a recent uh, newspaper headline that says, Local youths save town with pirate booty. Who are the Goonies? And then there's also a brochure from the Astoria Tourism Board that shows a pirate that they now do pirate ship rides and tours. And there's an old-timey photo of Chester Copperpot with a younger man, and it's it's kind of written on the, it says Chester and Norman, and they're posing in front of a chest of gold and jewels with a handwritten title that says, Our First Hall. And then the final shot is a close-up of a pendant that's hanging from the younger man, Norman's neck. And then it kind of pops into, we're back in Astoria, right? So now it's two years after the original film. The Goonies are a little bit older. They're freshmen in high school. And, and so what you see is, you know, they, they saved the town, you know, with their bag of jewels. They saved their, their community. So they were kind of local heroes. So now at the old restaurant where the Fratellis were hiding out, it's been renovated. It's now called Willie's Treasure Chest. It's kind of like a diner-themed restaurant. And uh, they have, like, they have a Goonie burger. They have Rocky Road ice cream, but it's called Chunks Chocolate Delight, you know? And that, so, so the town is really booming now because they're a tourist community, all right? And so One-Eyed Willie's, you know, pirate ship, obviously it was floating off in the distance before. Somebody went out and got that ship. That, that ship <laughs> no, was no, that ship disappeared. <laughs> that ship has sailed, yeah, man. But so anyway, so, so now the other thing of this, if you recall at the end of the film, Chunk tells Sloth, you're going to come live with us now. Yeah. So Sloth lives with Chunk's family, but they paid for plastic surgery. So now he looks like <laughs> Joe Piscopo. Um, originally, I wanted him to look what? like Patrick Swayze. I wanted him to be like total opposite, like super <laughs> beautiful Sloth now. But I realized that Patrick Swayze is not a big guy. And you, you need like Sloth was so huge. You need a guy who's like buff and, and big. And Joe Piscopo, when he was on Saturday Night Live, I always thought that guy is way too big and burly to be a comedian. He was always so jacked. Yeah. So Joe Piscopo was also goofy. So I felt like he could play because Slot's intellect is still the same. But but now he calls himself Steve, and he's a he's a simple-minded <laughs> construction worker. And all the girls in the town are always like, "Ooh, Steve!" Like they're they're so into Slot, and he's just this lovable little goofy shy guy. But he has a romance with a waitress at Willie's uh, at, at Willie's, Willie's treasure chest, and her name is Susie, and she's just really sweet, and she always is singing this tune to her. Susie Q? Susie Q, yeah. You know, <laughs> why not? And uh, so basically, they have kind of that relationship. And the B story of the film is that uh, Sloth and Chunk, you know, they're like brothers, they're best friends, but now there's a girl in between them. So it's about Chunk coming to terms with sharing his best friend with a love interest, you know, that enters the picture. And, um, and that also uh, kind of carries throughout uh, the film for the rest of the guys. Now, Brand and Andy... They've graduated and they went off to college, 
but Steph stayed behind and she's also a waitress at the diner. So they always come in and of course Mouth is making these ridiculous food orders just to hassle her, you know. So that like the diners, they're hangout now obviously because they're kind of the celebrities there. Um, and anyway, so they're... Uh, uh, Mikey is always calling Brand, you know, throughout the film, looking to get advice because this is kind of everybody's having a romance. Mikey's chasing this this pretty girl at school. He's trying to figure out how to get her attention. Data is being pursued by this burly uh, girls field hockey player, <laughs> kind of a log duck dong type thing. Oh, sexy girlfriend! You know, he's got he's got that girl that was after him. You know, and then Mouth is in love with his art teacher, who's like, you know, of this course, girl, yeah, of yeah. course. So so he's hitting on her all the time. He's the smooth talker. Now, now, one day they're at they're at the diner and all of a sudden, you know, they're hassling stuff and somebody's asking for, a, you know, she's asking for her tip. This mysterious hand throws down one of the one eyed Willie doubloons. They look up and it's this guy and he introduces himself as Victor Copperpot. And ah. he says that he Chester Copperpot was his grandfather and he's found all you know this, this story that they were went after his treasure and found it. And it really belongs to him. And he's trying to uh, he's really trying to, you know, renew the family name you know people thought chester was crazy and all and all that stuff so he's giving him this sob story but they say look we are the money's already here we used it for the good of the town and besides that you know that was willie's treasure it wasn't your grandfather's and so then he gets all like upset and indignant and he's he's you know yelling at him and he's telling him you know you're just selfish da, da, da. and then he looks over and Susie recognizes him and he starts going over to Susie and he sees the key that Norman had around his neck in that opening montage picture and realizes he needs that key to get the treasure. So he's trying to get it from her. The key falls down and in the scuffle, Mouth has his sculpture for his art teacher in a, in a backpack. It falls out and, and, and you know, uh, Victor, Victor Copperpot, he steps on it. But then the key falls out of his hands into the, the Play-Doh or the clay, whatever it's going to be, you know, and it makes an impression. But then just as they're having this whole big to do sloth slash Steve comes in, you know, to defend his girl, saves the day, throws Victor out. He's cursing everybody. Ah, you're not the only ones who knows where that treasure is. Da, 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 da. So he's and the so, pseudo bouncer at, at Willie's. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, so he's there. So from that point, Susie lets him know, look, he's a dangerous guy. That's my uncle. He moved away to England. You know, he had kind of a strange relationship with my grandfather, who was his father. He became a mercenary. He's just got, he's a bad guy. You really don't want to get on his bad side. They're like, look, there's nothing he can do. Nobody knows where that treasure is in the entrance to the cave. But he's we a do. treasure seeker. Yeah. yeah. And so they and then they indicate where it is because they're in the same restaurant. Right. Yeah. So it's actually it's under a jukebox now. That, that, that you can actually, I, I was debating jukebox or, or a Donkey Kong machine or something. Yeah. You know? It is the 80s after all. But, um, but anyway, so they, they do know where it is. Now, what happens is that uh, um, this is where we kind of, we go back to school with the kids. They kind of forget about Victor and we, and we see all the different, you know, uh, data is coming up with these different inventions to try to get away from the girl every time, you know, like things to throw his voice or remote control this and that to, to block his, his pursuer. Uh, Mikey's trying and failing to get the attention of, of the girl he likes. Mouth hits on the art teacher, asks for a private lesson after school, is making these lewd comments, and then she throws some back at him, and then you realize he's really a chicken. He's afraid of women. Yeah, exactly. You know, that, that classic deal. And um, 
So uh, ultimately what happens is Victor goes to the Fratellis in prison. We find out that Ma and Jake Fratelli were transferred to another prison, but Francis is still there because you got to have Joe Pantoliano. He is yeah. fantastic. you got to keep him in the film. So he's telling him his whole story. He's like, hey, can you, will you help me out? You know, I'll give you part of the treasure and all that. And Francis is totally, totally game for it. Um, and uh, now the you know they're basically planning okay i'm gonna break you out of prison at this time and and then we'll go we have to get the key from this girl we have to uh do you know get down in find out where the the treasure actually is um so but francis he knows right because that was their hideout he's like yeah Yeah. it's on the it's on the far east wall down at this point he's like oh you know so victor knows oh it's under the jukebox so now all we need is the key so they go there's kind of like this little cat burglar type of thing where francis you know sneaks in and almost gets caught whatever he steals the key off her dresser and uh and he takes it back they go they go under the jukebox they get to the door and they realize on the door like you you don't just need the key there's this limerick that's written and basically you have to know a melody that has to be sung along while you're turning the key and so that's when victor realizes because when he was kind of hanging out before the scuffle he heard Susie humming that tune to herself and everybody always hears her to- humming it it's kind of her thing and she says it's something her grandfather taught her mm. so he's like ah so now I have to go back and kidnap her so <laughs> so he, he gets you know he gets Francis in on that again they go back and they kidnap her um, but just as they're leaving Victor tells Francis I betrayed you I called the cops and, and told him that there's an escaped convict loose at this address oh. so that he's a diversion while he kidnaps her and, get, and goes off yeah. to the restaurant so now Francis is like you know freaking out and he goes on the run you know Victor and Susie go off to the restaurant and while uh, while Francis is running he runs into Sloth who was on his way to uh, to to meet Susie uh, and so basically he doesn't recognize sloth obviously right but then yeah. sloth recognizes him and after a couple, little exchange he's like oh you're my brother okay and then uh he says you, you know you got to help me uh but then he realizes that francis stole a, a watch from her that he recognizes as Susie's. And he's like, oh, you've been bad. You know, so he like, so he takes him off and the Goonies are on a camping trip. I know there's so many elements to this, but the Goonies are on a camping <laughs> trip that night talking about the, all their love and romance woes and everything, right? They're, and they're coming up with their crazy, you know, high school boy theories about what women want. You know, that's yeah. kind of the comedy in there. And so anyway, Sloth brings Francis over there. He ties him up. They hang him from a tree and he's like, he stole Susie, da, da, da. And so they're kind of, they're, they cover him in honey and they say they're going to leave him for the bears unless he tells them where where uh, victor is taking Susie. so they they you know he tells them and they just leave him there and they take off and then while they're riding their bikes they come upon steph who's driving a crab truck for a delivery to the restaurant anyway so they all ha- hop in the back with the crabs and they get up there meanwhile victor gets Susie down there he's trying to make her sing you know but she's all nervous she can't quite you know get the tune out um, and then just as she finally does and they enter this vault, you know, the Goonies come in and they see and they and they're chasing her down. And uh, and basically uh, Victor shuts the door before they can get in. Now the Goonies are there and they're like, uh, you know, they, they realize, well, we can't get in. We don't have a key and we don't we don't know the song. <laughs> and then uh, they're all defeated. And, you know, Mouth drops his backpack again and out rolls the the clay sculpture from the beginning where the imprint of the key is. So now 
uh, Data has his, he calls it his his metal juice, and it's his new invention, yeah. so he just drops that in, and it instantly, you know, creates a key, you know, again, that all of Data's inventions devices, are crazy. Yes. Yeah, plot device. So they have the key, but now, again, it's the song, and they're like, oh, you know, and again, they make the same deduction. Oh, it's that song she's always singing. So the boys are trying to sing it, and either they don't have it right, or they can't carry a tune. They can't hit a high enough pitch anymore. Right. So then they go to Steph, and now Steph, you know, they try to make her sing it. She's like, you guys are idiots. You don't know how the song goes. It goes like this. And then she sings it. They get in, and just as they're opening it, um, they re- and actually during this time it's cutting back and forth. Victor's in there. The treasure's there in a big chest. He ties up Susie because he doesn't need her anymore. And then he, uh, he blows a hole in the wall with dynamite. And what does he find? He sees, you see that One-Eyed Willie's treasure, or his pirate ship, is just below the cavern. So basically, he shoots out, and again, in these movies, there's ridiculous things, but he shoots out a zip line down <laughs> to, the, to the pirate ship, and he's got this harness that he's carrying with him. He sends the treasure down. Then when he realizes they're coming in, he sends Susie down, because now he has to have a hostage, because they're on his trail. And then just as they're entering, he goes down himself. So now he's in the ship, ready to get away. The Goonies like, ah, what do we do, right? And so Steph runs off to go call the police upstairs. Just as she gets there, Francis has shown up. He's all honey drenched and yeah. all you know, gross and everything. And he's like, he says, "Well, fine, I'm getting the treasure for myself." He doesn't know anything that's happened. So now he's taking her down. He's got a gun, you know, and he's he's uh, he's getting him back there. And now you know, Chunk and uh, and Sloth and everybody are there, and they're like, "What do we do? How do we get down there?" And Sloth is like, "You know, here's Susie screaming." So he freaks out. He runs to his old room where the where his cell was, you know, where he yeah. was being kept. He grabs his old chains and he's using it as a thing to slide down the zip line. <laughs> so he runs, he jumps, and, and Chunk tries to stop him. You're like, no, Sloth, you know. So he's grabbing on. So Sloth and Chunk are like sliding down. <laughs> and just as they're almost to the bottom, Victor cuts the zip line, you know. So now they're flailing. Yeah. And they end up flying onto the crow's nest. So they're, they're up at the very top of the thing, just like hanging on for dear life. Uh, Mouth and Mikey and Data are there. They're like, oh, what do we do? What do we do? And then that's when they see that. Victor actually left a bomb with a, uh, <laughs> there's, again, it, it goes wild here, but he left a bomb with a timer and there's only a minute left, so they have to do something. And Data's like, oh, guys, wind wings. They're like, wind wings? And he's got a hang glider that pops out of his jacket. He's been saying, they're like, no, there's no way. No, no, no. They're arguing, and then they, 30 seconds. So they're like, okay, you know. So then they all jump out, and Mikey and Mouth are hanging on to Data, and they're flying down on his, on his hang glider apparatus. <laughs> And then Francis and Steph show up and they're like, ah, and they see the bomb, right? And so they just run back out the other way. And so as, you know, they're hang gliding down and behind them, you know, from the pirate ship kind of point of view, you see the explosion of the cave and the <laughs> restaurant. And then Steph and Francis are jumping out of the explosion, right? So they're like, ah, you know, and so that's, that's the big set piece moment. You know, that's the explosion. Everything is happening. So now the... Mouth and Data and Mikey, obviously the wings were only meant for one person, so one of the wings breaks off. They're twirling down. They end up in a net, like just they're caught like inside a net on the pirate ship. Yeah. And, um, and so finally, everybody's on the boat, right? So now it's about the showdown. And uh, so uh, basically from here, they, uh, they're, there's a lot of – it has to do with loose boards on the deck of the ship. So the, <laughs> this is where the, the comedy of the action comes in. So basically, um, as they as they get there, uh, Victor, you know, still has Susie all tied up. Sloth jumps down, you know, kind of like he did before. He's going to slide down on the knife type th- with a knife thing. And But when he jumps down, 
the loose board knocks him in the back of the head, knocks him out. So now, now Chunk is like, no, now you know. you've lost the muscle. Yeah. And Victor is like, ha 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 ha. You know, and Victor's got his gun. So he's pointing it at Sloth and he's about to get him. And, uh, just then Chunk notices, you know, that he's stepping where the loose board was. So now, uh, or sorry, the, the treasure chest has moved to where the loose board was. So, so Chunk sees Victor, you know, pointing the gun and he's like, no, you know, he's like, Hey, you know, it's a jerk or whatever he calls out to him. He jumps down on the board and he launches the treasure out of the ship. Okay. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and, and actually what, what's happening here is, uh, I, I do have to back up cause I did get a little bit ahead. <laughs> I know there's so you, much. You went to page four rather I know, than page, page three. Four, jumped to page four. Oh. I know we got to wrap it up here, but um, <laughs> I'm so excited about this. Uh, we're going to probably have to edit this down. Um, but, but basically, um, what the other part of this is that when Francis and it was being pitched the idea of the of the heist and everything, uh, Victor let him know that it's not all for. Uh, noble cause he actually owes money to these russian mobsters and so so just out of nowhere and occasionally throughout the film you see these russians just kind of showing because it was the 80s you know the russians were the threat you know yeah the cold war wasn't over yet rocky hadn't saved us i don't think maybe that year is when rocky four came out so anyway um basically from there uh uh, at one point, Data, it was actually Data that grabs the gun out of uh, Victor's hand with his, he has his pinchers of, of peril still, you know, as so he grabs yeah. those, but it throws the gun out into the other side of the boat. And then Victor is kind of stumbling around and he sees off the, the one side of the boat, there are the Russians in a motorboat right up beside him. He's like, I, uh, I'll have the money in a second. Hang on, you know? And then as, uh, then as you see, um, he's you know having another tussle with sloth because sloth wakes up so they're you know they're fighting everything and you see uh you basically see him kind of go over to the other side and then there's francis and steph on the other side of the boat on a motorboat and you know so francis is like i'm gonna kill you you know you betrayed me da, da, da. so that's when chunk then sees the you know he sees the the treasure on that loose board so he jumps okay. down his weight launches it off to the side where francis and steph are it lands in their boat but the weight of the chest then launches them up into the boat right yeah. so it gets ridiculous here so that joe pentagliano and victor they're they're <laughs> battling each other you know francis they're having their fight and everything and um and then uh what happens is finally um uh, sloth is trying because sloth now it's, it's still his francis is still his brother yeah. so victor now has the gun on francis he's about to kill him sloth hits the loose board one more time to stop him but instead it launches victor out of the boat onto the boat where the treasure is so now he's like great i have my getaway everything worked out perfectly for me so he's like so victor's like so long suckers you know starts driving off all the kids run off to the other side and they tell the russians he's getting away so then the russians are chasing after him oh. and they come and bump the back of his boat which you know puts the treasure uh uh the treasure on back on the pirate ship but then victor ends up in their motorboat and so then they drive off into the night you know and he's like no <laughs> you know so he's so he's been captured and and then uh, so from there basically uh, you know it's a it seems like a happy ending everything's good you know sloth has reunited with his brother so it seems but that's when francis then pulls the gun on all the kids and he's like hey this is mine now, you know, like, so now he's going to take the treasure uh, w with him. And so now, you know, there's that last turn at the end um, and he's got this inflatable raft off to the side that he found. He threw it, threw it out there. So now he's going to go. And, uh, but then basically uh, sloth uh, 
uh, or as he's as he's trying to get away, Sloth's like, "No, brother!" And then he's like, "Forget you!" And he steps on the loose board one more time, which knocks Francis in the back of the head over the side into his. <laughs> so there's just all this stuff flying around with this loose board, and Francis ends up ju- in a boat just as you see like the Coast Guard and the police coming out, and it's the dawn. Now the yeah. dawn is rising, and they've come and they're getting Francis. So now the Goonies are there. They've got their gold. They've got their jewels. They're so excited. They see a, a chunk sees a ring on top of all the jewels, and he gives it to Sloth, and he's like you know what to do with this and then sloth proposes to Susie, and then it fades to a wedding ceremony and brand and annie are back andy are back for the wedding and everybody's you know in their tuxes and it's a great you know moment and then you know that's that you know chunk is you know sloth's best ma- best man you know yeah. and they've reconciled and and all the all the goonies you know mouth data and mikey they're all there with their girls that were pursuing them or they were pursuing yeah. as their dates even mouth you know the art teachers yeah there, you know and it's really awkward and funny and I don't know, <laughs> you know so so after 20 minutes of my explanation that is the goonies too so that is the goonies too in my mind where you absolutely just have to you got to pick up on those threads that they left dangling and give oh, us the wow. next installment your thoughts oh jeff go ahead uh <laughs> Ooh, are we i'm sorry are we doing feedback on each other's pitches or what's <laughs> well this is this is where we're at really what it comes down to is now we have to figure out how do we take all three of these ideas and turn them into one movie I don't think that would happen. They're three different different movies. Right. But, three different but time periods. Although I do see, and, and that was kind of what one of the many things I was thinking uh, in this last pitch especially, is um, starting off with that kind of like, for each one of us, what that key element was to the Goonies. Because I feel like... Um, I know, like, Jeremy, you kind of said that it was it was that bond between friends, that that was kind of the key, the key element. And I know, like, for me, it was that childhood adventure part. And I get the feeling for you, Adam, it was kind of more of the, not slapstick, but I don't know what you call that style of, like, adventure. I, I, th- I think it's like a madcap adventure is really what it is. Because, yeah, there's, just, there's a lot of, like goofiness but then there's real right. danger but then there's a lot of jokes and like you say yeah slapstick humor throughout yeah. watching goonies is that yeah there's the slapstick but it's also like you're not always supposed to laugh necessarily even at the like you're, you're almost supposed to buy into the ridiculousness of it like so at the end when in the original movie when chunk comes down with the knife uh, you know the sword or whatever it is <laughs> into the the the, the, the... yeah in, through the sail exactly down you you don't even like if that would have happened in most other movies you'd be like come on what but at that point you're like yes come on you've bought into the campiness at that point. right yeah that's why with my my pitch i might that was my thought is you can really take it anywhere because they were so ridiculous in that movie you can have data make the wildest inventions yes you can have like a few (laughs) plot holes here and there and just a lot of you know goofy uh, you know, convenient plot, you know, contrivances, you know, and it's still enjoyable because the heart of it, you know, it, it, like you say, is the friendship. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think there is a way to take all three of these and put them together. And it may sound crazy because Jeff, again, your, your pitch was, okay, it would have to be their kids, right? So, right. so it's a, it's a premise of they're, they're going to kind of teach their kids about adventure, whatever that catalyst is. Now, I feel like Jeremy's pitch 
could it could essentially be a bookend where there's not you know like either those those concepts there are are kind of general where maybe we don't make a whole movie about that yeah so it's it's like the db cooper thing is kind of the introduction we we meet all the goonies now we see them with their kids and then they so maybe it's more of the plot device for them and their kids kind of getting them out and about and doing something all of them together right and and now even before we go down that road i might throw in though too because and i i mean in my job i work with high school freshmen and i can tell you that there is not a huge difference between high school freshmen and 12 year olds and so that the awkwardness and the willingness to do ridiculous things and riding around on their bicycles that's not so far-fetched so like you're saying doing it two years later and they're in high school you could still get away with some of the kiddie things i was kind of thinking if you couple on to to your pitch adam where it's kind of this idea like they are freshmen in high school and if ever there is a time for them to be outcasts it's as freshmen in high school and you don't necessarily emphasize the high school stuff, but the fact that, like, the Goonies still need to exist because no one else likes you because you're a freshman in high school. Interesting. And maybe the rich kids don't like you because you ruined their golf course or whatever it is. And, you know, you know whatever. And it's just kind of like the Goonies still need to exist. And so then that bond can lead them into further adventure. Okay, so, so this would be the question now also um time frame wise so now are we attached at all because this is what it's about we're paring down the ideas are we attached to the idea that we do feel like because jeff even your own pitch it kind of sound like they would probably go with the next generation but do you feel like that's a necessary part of a goonies sequel or could just the pitch of the next adventure concept good enough well, I was just – it depends. Like, for me, again, for me, if it is that childhood adventure, I feel like that was a part of this movie is that their childhood was essentially ending with this movie. So to do another movie about these same kids' childhood doesn't seem, like, to be connected. So if you want to do another movie about childhood, it has to be with their children, you know. Okay. 30 years so, later. So, However, yeah. again, if you're going to kick it up a notch, you're going to be like, okay, now instead of childhood, let's talk about adolescence. Oh, now that's a whole different sort of a... Yeah, adolescence, coming of age, kind of transitionary periods in their right. life. And okay. that could be too where, because it's the funny thing, like, it would definitely change the dynamic where, you know, in, in the original Goonies, um, the male-female reaction with all the kids is very awkward. Like, even, the, like, Mikey goes and, like, makes out with his girl, and he's just kind of like, uh, uh because he's pre-adolescent. Now, if he's a 14-year-old kid, ho oh, ho, that's a whole different sort yeah. of a story. Yeah, and I, and I think we're all in agreement on that, because that's really where I was taking it. That, that was my thought, too, is their next step is that adolescence that love, that drive, you know, the, the hormones kicking in. So that definitely, I think we're all in agreement, that needs to be like the core kind of like running, you know, uh, storyline throughout is they're all dealing with their own, you know, feelings and trying yeah. to pursue romance. So the question becomes then, you know, we, we kind of know the character moments. We kind of know the, you know, the how we continue to connect with the, the attitudes and, and the, the characters themselves but what is the the driving 
you know, plot action. What what do you I mean, would you guys do you guys like the idea of introducing this Victor character who's coming in and he's the one trying to get to the treasure uh, for himself or do you feel like there needs to be something different because like the db cooper thing is good too um like and i and i love the the switcheroo of bigfoot you know just like they go for db cooper they find bigfoot like i think that could again harry and the hendersons crossover right maybe, you know? I, that <laughs> came to mind <laughs> which would be oh. awesome but you know what i'm saying so so i guess the question is i mean uh if we need to throw out my entire you know plot summary that is fine but but like I, I, I think there are some elements in there that are maybe just a little bit fl- more fleshed out that could help us get to where we want to go. But um, what what if it was? I mean, just the idea of okay, you have you have they're entering high school now again. There we still have the need for the Goonies. They realize they need each other more than ever now, um, and and they're pursuing their girls and whatever's happening there. Uh, did you guys like the idea of Data being the one being pursued? And uh, you know, Chunk obviously is never going to get a girl. That's just not that that that's not a part of it. I because I, I still feel like Sloth needs. Have to you have seen Chunk today? No, now. Okay. I, yeah. Right, like, and he's, yeah, a, no. he's a high, highly paid <laughs> lawyer. Yeah, exactly. For me, for me, I think I switched those two around. I kind of like Data being the. I mean, maybe you could throw in like a a. a a wink at the end of the movie where like some other nerdy girl happens to like look his way. But I kind of like the idea where he is so completely not interested in girls and chunk is maybe like, not that he's like, maybe he's adorable. Maybe girls like, you know, girls find him adorable or maybe he's just like, you know, he's the one like the, the, the driving force who's really, really interested in girls, but you know, can't get any, I, don't I, know, I, I just like I just see Chunk, his character. Chunk was the most childlike of all the kids in the original film. So that's why I just feel like he would not have developed as much as they did. Like the it would be like the rest of the guys are ready for well, that. Well, then again, they are hitting puberty and it could turn right. on turn on its head right. and where he develops the most out of them. Mm-hmm. Plus, I don't okay. I'm not sure that I would agree with that either. I feel like Mikey was the most childlike because it well it depends on your definition of childlike. You know, mouth mouth had was very childlike but the way that he showed that was was in his like overconfidence really well overconfidence and total lack of of like not scruples but what what's the word i'm looking for um like appropriateness like he just he just didn't have any idea like what you're is a good idea like hey i'm surrounded by murderers should i do this right now he doesn't even think that way (laughs) i have the vila scalapini right Chunk is the awkward one, and Chunk, like, you know, because I, I, I feel like if, you know, any of the characters that were, like, let's say, like, the, the famous interrogation scene where he starts spilling his, his guts about <laughs> everything like that, which, by the way, fun fact is, that, which maybe you guys knew already, the story that Chunk tells about the fake vomit supposedly that's something that Steven Spielberg actually did as a kid and oh. told the actor to tell that story. That's awesome. So yeah, there you go. Fun, I fun had tip. not heard that. So, <laughs> so, but I, I see where you're coming from. And, and as a former fat kid that very easily <laughs> could have been called, uh, could have been called chunk. And here's my fun fact. Uh, you know, Goonies rip off the monster squad, which I believe is just as good as the Goonies. Um, oh. I actually was called Horace. 
like you know, people made fun of me because they thought I looked like the fat kid from the Monster Squad. Ah, but uh, but anyway, but so like I, I see what you're saying. Like maybe it was it's his time now to get a girl and all of that. Um, but my my concern is then what do you do with sloth? And I and I wouldn't want. I mean, is it, your it was your point, Jeff, when you said flip it. You're saying that 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 sloth maybe is jealous of chunk getting taken away by having a relationship or were you really talking about data to be honest i don't know about your sloth angle Joe <laughs> you don't, you don't buy that. it was love interest this is the and... 80s the the era of plastic surgery no, you know and the hunky yeah. guy gets like, all the action it's the other thing too that that because it was the thing that I've been thinking about too. Is that let's say if we're if we're going along the lines with something like this. So we're talking about like adolescence, and we're talking about um, you know freshman in high school, and that et cetera, et cetera. Um, is that the older that they get, does that mean that the tone of the movie gets older? When I was trying to think about like you said about the Fratellis and stuff like that, is that like when I think about the Fratellis in that movie, the Fratellis were not frightening at all. I mean, they 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 were, but they weren't. And I think they were intentionally because they were so, like, as terrifying as they would be as gangsters, they were total, like, mama's boys that were whipped by their mom. And so we were laughing at them. So it kind of took away from our fear of them, which I think added to this feeling that I don't want you to be terrified of these people trying to kill these children. Like, that's not what this movie's about. But if we're talking about teenagers, like, do we want it to be a little darker, a little scarier? And if we go down that road, are we becoming less and less Goonies-like? Well, I, I just think that you do. There, there is a certain level of maturity, but that's that's where I think you still keep kind of the slapstick angle. I think that still has to exist for them because to me that was just such an essential element of the original film even though it wasn't the heart of the film, it was so present in pretty much, you know, most of the scenes, there was something goofy like that going on. I felt like, especially like the last half of the movie. So, so I don't think it has to be dark. Um, but I, but I do think, you know, that it is a more mature theme, just like, you know, the, the pursuit, uh, you know, and following your libido and everything else, you know, that comes with, with that, that high school romance. But, um, are we at a place where we're saying, okay, that's really the core story. We're following up with the kids. They're in high school. So it's, you know, it could be two or three years later because they, they were probably 12 or 13 when, you know, those, yeah, those yeah. characters probably two years. So, later. so we're to the point of where they're 15, potentially turning 16, getting cars, girls no, I say pre that pre that because yeah. if you have if you i mean yeah because it's the new discovery it's the new discovery yeah. of a new world of high school and they're right. awkward and they don't That's fit why in I like, still yeah right i like freshmen because you could do i mean like i could see like i don't know would mouth probably be the oldest one where he might be able to have a car and then you uh, license to drive Corey like, feldman yeah that's right because i I like the idea of them on bikes and the fact of like, and because there was a, some of that already in this old, mo the, the original movie where, well, I guess it was more about, about his, uh, uh, the, the brother that like when he was on the bicycle and then the friends came by in the car and they were making fun of him. Yeah. And you could have some of that too, where it's these freshmen on bicycles when these sophomores and juniors come by and, you know, are laughing at them for being freshmen and everything. So, so, but what we have to realize now is we're, we're circling around the whole concept of the relationships and all of that, which is important, 
but we still don't have we haven't decided on an action piece we haven't decided on kind of the catalyst for whatever their adventure is going to be so the question is do we go with the idea of playing with the lore of the goonies of essentially what you're what you're wanting to know is this goonies 2 the return of one-eyed willie <laughs> well yeah and, and, we'll, and we'll get to the pitch of the titles here in a little bit but yeah is is it basically again a continuation uh right. in in that regard or are we saying again a totally new adventure db cooper bigfoot let's just let's just kind of bring a totally new concept in that they're now dealing with in addition to their high school romance stuff right. uh, where, where do you guys fall on that where do you think you would prefer to go well, I think for me, I I like I like your the 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 Chester Cobblepot's grandson and stuff like that. Except for it, I don't know the idea because it was like, especially in the first movie, Chester Cobblepot like he kept like idolizing him and talking like, what would he do? What would he do? And then to have his grandson turn into this villain that kidnaps somebody. Uh, well, to, well, to be fair, to, to be fair, to with, vilify with, yeah. his hero, kind of. Well, but but if you re- if you remember, Mikey was really talking to One-Eyed Willie. The Chester Copperpot thing. The only time they really used it is to say he told them we made it farther than he ever did. The whole wishing well scene. Yeah. The yeah. the catalyst for that is. Don't you guys realize we made it farther than he did, and he was the expert, and we can do it now, and da da da. But really. After that point, he's talking that, to One-Eyed Willie, like, right. how did you can put together all these booby traps? So I don't think, right. like I say, Chester Copperpot could have been anybody. He could have been a monster. And, and there's no reason, you know, he was probably a good guy, but there, we really don't care about him. The future generation can always be spoiled and terrible. Yeah. I don't right. think it diminishes his place, you know, as whatever he was in the first True. Week. What about just that first part, though? Like you said about the grandson shows up and somehow gets, you know, because thro- I, I could almost see like a scene where, yeah, somehow he gets thrown into prison and then he's talking about this or whatever and the oh, camera okay. pans over and there's the there's the, the Fatelli's right there. Yeah. And then they like become the bad guys again. And because for them, if they kidnapped... Susie, like I could totally see that. That would make sense. And do you know? I mean, it would actually be funny where if like they could do the same sort of a torture sequence as they did with Chunk, but she's not going to react the way that Chunk did, and that could be you know like a parallel, but not. And okay, I, I can see that. So, so you're again. It sounds like your vote is bring back the Fratellis, and you you know you can use the grandson as a catalyst for it. So he he does come in and present oh look there was more treasure because basically what he's saying is they did make it out once and that that time that chester got killed that was the time that they didn't make it out the second time but his son got out with all the information you know so so yeah that could work and then the grandson comes back to claim it but he he doesn't become the main villain but he becomes the guy who who gets the information of the fratellis okay i like that and then the fratellis you know Again, they're very good at getting out of jail, apparently. So they do that. <laughs> um, now, uh, I I would really like the idea that going with Jeremy's concept. So maybe it's not the DB Cooper thing, but I still want Bigfoot in this movie. I just yeah. feel like that's something Spielberg would that, be behind. That definitely sounds well. I I see them as Jeff brought up different time periods, different transitionary things where. They can be standalone films. They don't have to be so interconnected 
maybe this first one, really, and then you can kind of start distancing yourself from the original Goonies by still having little little nods, little tie-ins where they could go off and have this adventure. And then 20 years down the road, 30 years down the road, then they're going out on an adventure with their children. Yeah, but that, that's what, and obviously, yeah, that's I mean, true. we we could turn it into in, you know to the full franchise, but like for this first follow up, I think what it um, comes down to, like, I, I'll be honest with you, I'm not a huge fan of bringing back the Fratellis. I, I think they tell. were wonderful. Yeah, but we I, could t- I, we could I tell like a little the bit. idea of totally rehashing the first film, basically, you know, because it's like we've already right. seen this, the kids have already beat them once, so yeah. it's kind of like. What's the point of they? You well, know, we it, know they're going to beat him again. Then so you've got where well, there's no danger there. <laughs> then you've got the uh, the Home Alone scenario where you have <laughs> Harry exactly, and Marv. To be honest, that was kind of what I was picturing through a lot of your 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 plot, Adam. That that it, it felt it was feeling Home Aloneish, which I guess in a certain sense it is. You know, right. the, like you said, the campiness and the 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 peril and the whatever. But you're right, where you get the same villains again and again. Um, I think, though, for me, like, and that's what I've thought about with this entire podcast is this idea of, like, why why make a sequel, a prequel, or a reboot? And for me, and, like, like I, I always go back to Back to the Future, where as much as I didn't necessarily enjoy the sequels, I felt like they did it well because each sequel, they didn't make a sequel that was designed to tie up, like, there were unanswered questions to the first one. Let's make a sequel that answers them all. Like, I don't think that's yeah, a good no. reason in itself. I feel like a sequel needs to be able to sing its own song. It needs to have its own its own motivations and its own plot. So you're right. I mean, if it feels like this is just Goonies 2.0, then yeah, then, then what's the point? Like, let's just stick with the original. Okay, so... So where do, where does that leave us then? So obviously we know okay the kids are in high school they're doing what they're doing, having their their fun you know and their different relationships. Um, now, is it again? Are, are we are we going to stick with the idea that we do use the element okay Chester Copperpot's grandson comes in, or do we want to just delete that entirely and we're saying okay we don't want any you know big tie to the previous film. Um, because I, I guess like the only, only other thing I could see is that like what if there was a competition with like the rich kids or something and the rich kids are talking about the treasure, the D.B. Cooper treasure, and that they have a lead on it or something. Maybe one of their dads is an FBI agent or something who's still pursuing that. And so they basically maybe that's Victor Copperpot. Yeah, could be. I don't know. I, I, there's there's really no reason to use him if he's not going to be yeah, no. you know, related to it. But um, but yeah. So like maybe there's because that that's what I'm trying to see is okay. So why why would they go looking for that treasure? Right. Why why I mean you said it would be like one last one last adventure that they have together. But in a certain way that kind of makes them greedy. It kind of and but maybe they just have a cause. They say we would because that's what I'm saying. Like maybe somebody has to be sick. Maybe somebody has to be dying, and need, you know it's a very '80s it's, thing. They're gonna but, save Ferris. Yeah, exactly. That's like we're gonna get this right. money if we could find that treasure. We could do this to help this person. So I wonder, and I, and I think it should be somebody from the first film that that you care about, like or maybe 
Uh, nah, that's too bad. I was going to say, maybe it could be for sloths, uh, plastic <laughs> surgery. <laughs> but they're not really accepting their friend very Maybe well Maybe Bran was riding the little pink bicycle, got hit by a truck. <laughs> maybe there that's it. Because uh, oh. maybe, maybe it is like, you know, there's the older kids have already graduated who maybe want, maybe, maybe they get like arrested or abducted in Mexico or something <laughs> and they have to get the reward or the <laughs> ransom money. I don't know. That's not funny. Uh, I've I, my grandparents have like had those calls. That's a college oh, really? Yeah. Uh, I, I f- what about something like, what if like? Because remember, remember that that's one of the parts that I do enjoy about the original film is that Chunk has the reputation of calling the police on for random whatever things. He he likes to c- cry wolf on exactly. very exaggerated stories. What if that somehow is the motivation where it's like he, you know comes up with something and then like the the police actually arrest him or, or I don't know something like where they actually have to prove that Chunk was actually right or something. Hmm, okay. To prove Chunk right well, or to get his sense. bail money. Yeah, well no, but I'm saying if we if we're using the Bigfoot angle, right? So like, you know, in the last one he's like, "Oh yeah, like those little green monsters that multiply when you get water right. on them, you know." So like so they're used to something that crazy. But I'm just trying to think how how could Chunk take it too far? Like why why would they? I I really just see that as kind of a throwaway scene that calls back to it where they're taught they call them about Bigfoot. We found Bigfoot. They're like, yeah, right, Lawrence. Da, 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 da. Yeah, you know. So I feel like that would happen again because you could. It would be the reason why the Goonies have to uh, have to handle it themselves because the police won't believe them. You know, so it's like they're because they're talking about Bigfoot and D.B. Cooper's money. And they're like, you are what you kids are crazy. You know, like, <laughs> didn't you get enough money out of that pirate ship? And you're, and well, you're and, and maybe we even flip that idea. They go looking for Bigfoot and f- stumble upon uh, a parachute full of money. And then D.B. Cooper is out in the woods and, and, and find his bones. Well, maybe or maybe he's still alive. Well, maybe like maybe. like like because that's what I'm saying. Maybe he could be the new villain on some level. That's what I'm trying to find right now is the Goonies. It was so much about the chase. Like yeah. They were being chased and there, and there was an urgency to it. Um, and like, so where, where do you kind of put that in? Um, because if they go and steal DB Cooper's money, I guess it would be a good thing because he stole it in the first place. So if they're bringing it back, you know, like, and maybe, I mean, maybe one of their grandfathers was the agent on the case. And he was disgraced by it, so they want to find mm. it to help kind of redeem him. What do you think about something like that? I I don't know. We we don't really have much of a a background on them and their family, so. But that's what I say. That could be a new character, like a lovable old guy who gets introduced, and you see he was always down on his luck. Mikey's mom says, you know, he was never the same after that went wrong. You know, type telling thing. stories and. Right, and getting them, you know, and he could also give them romance advice and things too. The the crazy uncle, crazy uncle, crazy grandpa, whoever. Ah, uh, I don't know how we would spin that. Yeah, well, and because I mean the other part too. Although, again, I I hesitate because it can be done very very poorly. Is um. That the, the, the reality is they didn't make off in the first movie. They didn't make off with all the treasure. They just made off with one bag full of ge- gems. So yeah. 
I don't know, especially in the 80s, I mean, I guess, you know, with inflation, whatever, I don't know how much gems go for, but one little bag, like, that's, you're not set for life if you're buying the entire town. I yeah, mean, right. You could maybe buy, like, a house or a house and a half, but... All right, well, this, this is what I'm going to propose, and then you guys yay or nay it or uh, modify it, because this is, I mean, I feel like... <clears throat> essentially Jeremy's concept has really won out and I, but I think we've we've done a good mishmash of things so we have the high school story we have the romance angle and then we have this this idea of okay they have to go find DB Cooper's treasure and I am going to say that it's cuz Mikey again is kind of the one that everybody hangs on like he's the leader or whatever and again he you know he was kind of the catalyst for the first one it was his dad's map and everything in the attic so i'm, I'm gonna say that it was his grandfather was the agent pursuing db cooper okay and when he didn't catch him and nobody caught him he was basically a laughing stock he was kind of disgraced and you know he had to take on you know he, he just had to leave the agency and took on another form of work that was never fulfilling to him and so grandpa's now or yeah grandpa's now on his deathbed mm-hmm. and he's spouting off these stories and the kids want to go prove him right right that, and that's all it is like he's like i had it all figured out there's and and he's gonna say something like my superior told me to back off i was so close but of course i couldn't you know, blame it on my superior. He told a totally different story that I gave up earlier or whatever. Yeah. You know, and, but I know that it was right here and that's where he would have been because of all the research I did ahead of time. So now they go out and they have that adventure. And when they get there, you know, they think they find D.B. Cooper himself, but it's actually like, you know, they go into a cave or something that's out there and Bigfoot lives there. And so now they found Bigfoot, right? And, and they befriend Bigfoot. Okay, like initially he's Bigfoot scary, da da da. So he's kind of like Sloth. Yeah. From the first movie. Sloth. And and so they they go through all that. They befriend Bigfoot and his family. Bigfoot's got to have a family, you know, so he's more lovable. (laughs) And then. Okay, Harry. (laughs) And then what happens is there is, I think what it really has to be is there has to be um, probably either, it could go two ways. One is the, the grandpa's superior officer is now coming back for the treasure himself. And now he's got like a team that he hired. So now he's, he's the set up as the villain. Right. So he's the villain. Or if not him, it's just a group of, um, of Bigfoot poachers. They're essentially coming after Bigfoot. Now we love Bigfoot and we don't want them, but they find out about the treasure. So now they want Bigfoot and the treasure and they're doing all they can to, you know, they, you know, are kidnapping the kids and whatever they're going to do. Okay. What do you think? Which one, which one kind of sits with you better? What about was your, your first one was the, the supervisor, the grandpa's supervisor, mm-hmm. right? What if, yeah. What if it's the grandpa's supervisor shows up and reveals that he is D.B. Cooper. That that could be a good twist on the end. Um, either that or, well... I just it, don't know how that would work, uh, though. He was obviously in the agency with him. But at the same he, time, like, <laughs> because he was throwing off the grandpa, off the trail, giving right. him false leads, but at the same time, we're, we're treading onto... Um, we're, we're really starting to edge real close to without a paddle and where they come upon... Uh, the supposed partner in crime with D.B. Cooper. 
and that they were supposed to meet up. And it, we are also twenty years before. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, they would be ripping us that. off. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that that could really I I see that where he he's heard that the grandpa's on his deathbed, so now is his time to go and get the treasure, kind of thing. Yeah. Oh exactly. yeah, there we go. Yeah, nobody nobody could. Uh, and so it's a race between the kids and the supervisor. Nice. And at that point, you could really get villainous with him and his crew. Yeah. Now, now the other part of that, again, is so if Bigfoot's introduced, is Bigfoot literally just the sloth that kind of helps them thwart all the stuff that's going on? Or does Bigfoot also get captured as a part of this? Like, look, I came for the treasure, but now I can get Bigfoot and notoriety. It's like, like, but he doesn't, he probably wants to fly under the wire. He doesn't want notoriety from it. Yeah. So, so how does, how does Bigfoot play into it other than he's there for a little bit and comes back at the end to help them stop the guy? Very, very sloth like in his plot device. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I could see that. Uh, I do like it. Now, the question is, this is something I did not understand. Are you saying that without a paddle, it was all about D.B. Cooper? Yeah. Okay, because I forgot that part of it, and now it's kind of like it, what, it would be 20 years before it, but we're ripping it off. <laughs> we're we're jumping the in the time machine and going 20 years before it and making this movie. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, but was... with more beloved characters because we've had a whole movie to set them up. Yeah. Okay. True. Although, to be honest, like – other than the specifics of D, like the specifics of, of DB Cooper and his backstory, like this is a classic plot device. You know the yeah. the supposed good guy turns out to be the bad guy all along, and it was really me though. It's like Scooby Doo almost. So Row. exactly. Although I, I feel like, it, you know, just at the time, that's probably something that would have been accepted. You, like we, yeah. again, like we said at the top of the podcast, we are not, we, we are a different society now than audiences were back then. So I feel like they probably would have been just as entertained by that. I mean, we'd have made out like bandits in the, in the box office with this, either that, or it would have went straight to VHS. Yeah. <laughs> but, VHS. So, so but yeah, beta. but I, yeah, I, maybe Betamax. Sure. <laughs> so now the last question I have then, so let's, you know, we'll just say all that happens, you know, they, they have their back and forth with, with the loot, with all the evidence and all the things and DB Cooper, you know, obviously is clever. So he's, he probably set up a lot of booby traps and stuff around it. Yeah. Right. So, so, so like to protect the treasure all that time. Um, and so all of those things are happening. Bigfoot again comes back at the end to help them and whatever. Um, but uh, so my question is, what do we do with sloth? Is sloth a part of that? Cause it seems like he shouldn't be cause he could easily overpower an adult guy. Yeah. And... No sloth sloth. I don't know if he would nece- be necessary for the story because we're introducing another sloth like character. Yeah. At that point, granted, if this is made five years after Goonies anyway, uh, that actor that played Sloth died. That's true. Yeah, John Matusek so. died. So, so, but are we saying then, are we just, we're just writing him out like something happened to Sloth? Like maybe he did get married and moved away. Like I, he found I love and it's a happy s- ending for him. It, yeah, we'd lean more towards uh, he'd be elsewhere at that point. Okay. Right. Well, and, and even, you know, especially if we use uh, a similar um, 
introduction to like like they did in the original movie where it's kind of like it, it shows each one of the kids leaving their home to kind of get set set their family up and everything like that we could show sloth living with chunk's family and so he's there and i mean that could be part of but but, but what i'm saying is people would expect sloth to show up at some point and help out but what about this i have it i have Uh-oh. it Uh oh. okay so um sloth you know he's not he's not there for the adventure of them going to find the treasure and the stuff with the grandpa and all of that but what if he does go out um at a certain point what if bigfoot comes back to Astoria with them like he comes into town and they like he and Sloth become friends because you know they're both monsters <laughs> essentially so Sloth and Bigfoot are like the, you know they're this dynamic duo they're best buddies so while the Goonies go back to get the treasure and stuff like maybe big or, or they're getting caught by 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 the villain maybe Bigfoot goes to get Sloth or something and find and he helps him you know what I'm saying? Like, go find them. So Bigfoot a little bit of Bash Sloth. Bros going on. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. A little Mighty Ducks too. But but you know, what I'm so so you have those guys show up at the end to to go help. You know, but it's it's kind of that. That's why Bigfoot is not there at the beginning. You know, like 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 for a, the for the opening of the conflict. Right. And creates more of the scenario and danger for the kids because the muscle isn't there. Yeah, and I and I think it may not be that Bigfoot goes to get help. But he is taken away for some reason and and meets up with Sloth. And maybe it's like, you know, I, I don't know if like, because I, I almost feel like, again, like Chunk was separated from the group in the previous one. Yeah. Maybe it is still Chunk, Sloth, and Bigfoot. Because you have to have somebody who can speak. Yes. And, and, and speak for the audience. <laughs> so like Chunk, Sloth, and Bigfoot are having their own side adventures. Or else you have a lot of I am Groot's going on. Yeah. <laughs> So, so I think that would be great, though. It's like Bigfoot, Sloth, Chunk, and then they show up at the end to kind of help save the day. And, um, and, yeah, I think that'd be great. Now, the only other part of this, again, I'm not in favor of it, but do you think we still need something in there with the Fratellis at all? Or are we okay with leaving them out of it now? Because we could do that whole prison thing. Yeah. We're still like, like D.B. Sweeney is in prison or something. Or what's his name? Did I say it right? D.B. Cooper. D.B. Cooper. 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 I think, like you were saying about the importance of a sloth-like character, I don't know about that one either. I mean, like you said, you could certainly incorporate it with the, with the, you know, having the back and forth with Bigfoot and stuff like that. But also not having him in there is the same thing with the Fratellis. It's like I don't think that's necess- that's a, a necessary feature of the Goonies. Okay. Well, and, and, and really, uh, yeah, Chunk could partner up with Bigfoot this time rather yeah. than Sloth. But but my other thought is that um, if we are going to explain away Sloth, we could keep my concept of falls in love with the waitress. Willie's treasure chest diner could still exist, <laughs> and and that. But keep that's fighting for it, brother. Yeah, yeah keep, keep fighting, fighting keep fighting. <laughs> as long <laughs> as you can get Joe Piscopo, and you can <laughs> get him. I mean, and in '87, he was he was, now, he was big. Be. That's true. He was pretty big on Saturday Night Live, but he wasn't doing a whole lot of movies. He had Johnny Dangerously never, and a couple yeah. other things, but nothing huge. <laughs> he never broke, you know. Uh, but maybe, but that's what I'm saying. 
or the other concept again just taken from my thing what if the beginning of the movie is just like sloth's wedding like like there was this romance happening between he's got a he's got a girlfriend he you know proses to her real quick and gets married and he's off but maybe we just don't need that much explanation or but johnny depp drives up to the shore with the black pearl and <laughs> off goes exactly. sloth uh, yeah, I was seeing. I was reading just now that it says that uh, they didn't. You know, they did a novelization of the Goonies, right. and it does go a little bit further to say that Chuck's parents adopt Sloth and throw him a bar mitzvah. So that could be the opening: the Sloth <laughs> bar mitzvah. Very nice. Very nice. And maybe, but maybe like so he gets some lip service, but then we don't have to explain exactly where he's at. Well, they they, do the part where they lift him up on the chair, but they <laughs> lift him up because he's too big, uh, and he starts yelling because he doesn't know what's going on. That it. would be great. No, and and what if his bar mitzvah present is the plastic surgery? So he gets yeah. set off for the <laughs> royal film, for it, and he shows up at the end, surgery. and he is Patrick Swayze, or he <laughs> is, you know, whatever, whatever it is. I just. Let's May Patrick Swayze on. rest in peace. <laughs> there was oh. a point where Adam would make him sloth. Well, that's it. <laughs> Patrick Swayze was also <laughs> too big at this time. So again, Joe Piscopo is my pick for uh, for sl- the slightly handsomer sloth. Yes, but um, so I think that's good. I think we got it, guys. So <laughs> open the film, sloth bar mitzvah gets set away for his surgery. Over the course of the weeks uh, of, of the surgery, or the few days, really, I guess it would be in this case. Now, Well, you'd want him to not have the bandages on the face. Right, exactly. But, but it, it is movie medicine, so it, it could have just happened really yeah. quickly. <laughs> he healed you know, magic. So, so Sloth goes away. Now the Goonies are in high school dealing with all their romance and drama. And hormones. Yeah, and they go to the grandfather for, you know, love advice here and there. But then shortly thereafter, grandfather falls ill and he starts telling him this story. Like when they ask him, did you have any regrets? And he tells him the truth about D.B. Cooper um, as far as <laughs> as far as D.B. Cooper's story. Oh, and and D.B. Cooper dies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they can keep going yeah, I and get better at this. I, I got to learn how to speak and not lose my voice after two hours. <laughs> Let me start over. So they go to grandpa for all the romance advice, but then shortly thereafter he falls ill. And when they ask him if he had any regrets about his life, um, then he starts telling about his role in pursuing DB Cooper, how his supervisor stopped him when he was so close and he never understood why. People saw him as a failure. He had to leave the department, all those things. Then what happens? They go out. They decide we got to redeem grandpa. We're going to do it for him. They use all his documents and everything he had saved. They go out there. They find it. And they uh, there will probably be a few booby traps here and there that they have to survive the first time. Um, they find uh, not instead of finding the treasure, they find Bigfoot. Okay. They have their moment. They befriend Bigfoot. All those things happen. Right after that happens, uh, Bigfoot and Chunk go off for some type of adventure, which is uh, unexplained. They get separated, and that's when they run into the real D.B. Cooper, who is the supervisor. They recognize him because they have photos of, you know, newspaper stuff, and the supervisor took all the the credit or, you know, took the front thing. Yeah. And, uh, And so from there, basically, now the kids are being probably held a hostage by db cooper 
they try to get away a couple times, but the booby traps bring them back in. And then finally, when it looks like all is lost, Sloth, or sorry, a Bigfoot and Chunk come back and save the day. And, uh, and then everybody's happy. D.B. Cooper goes to jail. Grandpa's redeemed. He does uh, the money that was part of the treasure. They find a miracle cure treatment for whatever his ailment yeah. was. <laughs> Grandpa's fine. Everybody's happy. And then Tad icing on, on top of that. Sloth comes back. He's a beautiful Joe Piscopo. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and from there, we, we go into the end credit song and, and everybody. Oh, uh, and uh, we have to wrap up all the romance angles. So again, like yes, I said. Yes, yes. So now it's, we ha- there has to be some type of event that the guy, the boys, or maybe that we just end on that happy note, but then it shows like the homecoming dance. And now all the boys are there with their dates and they successfully did it. Whatever. <laughs> and Data's off in the corner playing with his newest flashlight or whatever. And then, but then he sees the girl that was pursuing him across the gym looking lonely and she didn't have a date. And he finally goes and dances with her and fulfills her dream. <laughs> we, we got, you got to redeem Data. You know, he's got, he's got to, he can't be totally asexual just because he's a brain and inventing things yeah no are we good with this have we done it did we break the story 180 uh, I, degrees from where we were at the beginning i think we've uh we've come up with a a, a script i love it <laughs> all right so the next question is what is the title of this film then what what, what are we looking at for goonies 2 does it have a tagline or you know a, a subtitle or is it just goonies 2 ah uh, i don't know what I feel like it needs a tagline. I I don't know. I I feel like not the well Goonies two the next adventure or Goonies two not Goonies two high school but Goonies two. I don't know. The next adventure sounds too. Although again, nineteen eighty seven. So yeah, yeah. It's just before Next Generation. Yeah, is what you're saying. <laughs> so that we wouldn't have the Star Trek comparison. Uh, I don't, well, no, I think just in those, like, sequels would be made with, like, that seems like a fairly common title to have a sequel called The Next Something, The Next I mean, like, my my first thought was The Goonies 2, The Bigfoot Bounty, but it's not really about Bigfoot, you know, it's not Yeah, it's not collecting his bounty. But you don't want to give away the D.B. Cooper thing either, that's not really a draw, that's just a... Well, it... But at the same time, you're having to decide between do you want to give away part of the story of um, the hunt for D.B. Cooper or and then keep Bigfoot as the surprise or spin it the other way and have well, I mean, more Bigfoot, Bigfoot in the advertising part. Right. I mean, Big Bigfoot is, I think, would be the better surprise, but I think... By revealing it ahead of time, it really does draw people in. Because I, I don't think the D.B. Cooper thing would be a draw for people, really. It would be a nice, like, you know, oh, I remember that news story, da-da-da. But, uh, but I, I think, like, Bigfoot just was really big, especially in the yeah. 80s. So I think by putting him in there, it would help. But I, I would be fine with just the Goonies, too. Because so many movies back then did yeah, just, like just throw Gremlins a number on it. Yeah. yeah. But it seems, I don't know, that's why I feel like the Goonies... The Goonies specifically, and I'm looking. At, I don't know if if any of you have seen the original poster, um, but the original poster 
Uh, well, it says, they call themselves the Goonies, the Secret Caves, the Old Lighthouse, the Lost Map, the Treacherous Traps, the Hidden Treasure, and Sloth. Join the adventure. <laughs> wow. Steven so Spielberg they give away the Goonies, <laughs> they, a Richard Donner film. They give away one, the whole plot. <laughs> well, exactly. Well, but if you've never, you don't know what the heck that means. So yeah, who's Sloth? Yeah. Exactly, now, and Je- Sloth. Jeff, just so we're making sure it's not a fan-made poster, is oh, that no. the one of them hanging off like the stalactite? Stalactite, yeah. Okay, all right. Just to make sure yeah, we're map below them. Okay, so I I did draw up a poster in my head. Really? Okay. Yes, and so you'd have like the in the center of the poster, you'd have your Bigfoot silhouette walking away from you into a thick, uh, a thicket of trees. So it's pretty dense behind him, and. I mean, the original had kids popping out and looking around a stalactite. And so in this one, it would kind of be like the kids are sticking their heads out from behind some of the trees in the background. So they'd kind of be staggered and hidden back there. And you just kind of catch the the outline and the profile of Bigfoot. And you just see a silhouette. And then, uh, and I think then I've course, got the tag the Goonies for too. It, though, with that. Goonies 2. And, and it is just Goonies 2 for the title, but then the tagline would be, uh, you know, it's a, <laughs> sorry. And the title would be, the adventure uh, continues, and this time it's big, or something like that. Like, like another adventure, and this time it's big, you know, and yeah. to play on the Bigfoot type Cause, thing. Because either way, that's, and, and I've, I've seen, because I think there's, that I can see that the, there's two different posters that they did originally. The first one, and it sounds like Jeremy, that might be the one that you're picturing where uh, they're like standing on a hill and they're pointing out and they're like in the middle of a map uh, or like there's a map that's ripped away and they're right. that way. And then there's another one where they're like dangling from like in a cave or something like that. They're dangling, holding on to a stalactite and it's breaking as, as it, as it's happening. So either way, they definitely give a sense of adventure. So that's why I feel like the the picture itself needs to be like not just suspenseful, but but like denote action packed. I suppose. Yeah, and it does. And it obviously this goes without saying, but Drew Struzan, who did you know Star Wars and Indiana Jones and all those posters, also did the Goonies posters. Yeah. So he's got to come back for this to give it that continuity and. <laughs> Make it look as good as it can, but but yeah, my, I I like the idea of just the Bigfoot silhouette, and maybe like Chunk is kind of in the background with him because we know they're kind of connected, in our in our story. But then yeah, and having everybody kind of either, I I think what it should be is like you know some of the kids are like maybe poking out from behind a tree, but some of them are caught in the booby traps also that are going to be featured, and then we probably would have to have like the evil looking. D.B. Cooper guy. I mean, again, would that give it away ahead of time? Probably, but I don't know if it matters. Like, um, It could be something where uh, behind Bigfoot, like leading towards the bottom of the poster page are just his imprints. And in the imprints could be like a rippled water effect with like the D.B. Cooper sketch in one of them and then nice. a yeah, map. And, yeah, and, and Grandpa and another one or whatever. I like that. Yeah, the Bigfoot. Just something so that iconic. leads. Yeah. yeah. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that would actually be better where it's almost like, I wonder if it, if it was multiple, like you, yeah, I'm just trying to think if you want to do it 
and we could do two posters, but do we want to do it like one that was all Bigfoot feet where there's things, you know, inside the footprint? Or do we, or like you're saying, combine the idea of, okay, well, the kids, you do kind of see them in the forest, but then there are Bigfoot feet that have a few other plot points. Well, I, off to I would the say side. you got your title up top, and then you've got the forest uh-huh. and Bigfoot walking into it. Okay. And that's your main centerpiece. Got it. And then just in smaller footprints leading down towards the bottom, like cutting off the credits, like giving a clear path of where he's been. And then there's the the faces and different yeah. things can i tell you i just i just love the fact that bigfoot meets the goonies is yeah. this <laughs> is what this film is like i had no expectation of that being the case and i just i think it's awesome okay so from there the next question is um what are we doing uh in terms of casting so really, are, I mean, we're, we're bringing back I the mean, original it's, kids. You're bringing back the original kids. If you're going to do it, you're going to bring back the original cast. If now, not, then... Grandpa, though. So who, who, who are we bringing in to play Grandpa now? Oh, you got to have an authority figure. Yeah. Now, do we want like a big burly guy or do we want a simple guy? Like my thought is um, if you look at the guy who, uh, it, it, like the guy, his name is Herm Cronin. I don't know if you remember him. He was in like Batteries Not Included. Um, is it Hume, Hume Cronin? Oh, Hume Cronin. You're right. What yeah, did yeah, I say? Yeah. Hume? I don't know. Anyway. I think you said I, Hume. I was picturing yeah, somebody Cronin. bigger. He's kind of frail. But that's what I'm saying. Like He he didn't have to be it's a big adventurer guy. He was the investigator. He was the guy who was on the trail. You know what I mean? It's not to say that he would have manhandled D.B. Cooper if he caught him, but he was the brains yeah. behind it, figuring it all out. No, no. If we got to go for an authority figure that was a – an FBI guy. There is only one guy that you would try to cast. Sean Cotter. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, I think he was still doing Medicine Man and yeah. these other movies at that well, time. Well, that was Hunt for Red October and things. Well, and I think that's the tough thing, too, is that if you, I mean, even if we put Hume Cronin, because Hume Cronin had just done, um, or either had just done or was just about to do Cocoon. Well, eighty-seven, yeah, he had just done Cocoon and maybe Cocoon Two, so he would have been a he would have probably been the biggest star in the movie. And I don't know if that's what mm, we're trying. But but not for the audience they were going for. Cocoon was not a film for teenagers. You know what I'm yeah, saying? But, like, I, it, it was a popular a family film. film. You're bringing your family, and so all the parents would be like, "Oh, oh Hume Cronin." Well, that's great. Something for everybody. But that's what uh, I'm saying. Like like I I feel like he he kind of has that. Like you know, lovable, but he he could carry the gravitas. The other person I had in mind, who's a very similar type actor, um, who would have been you know about the same age at that time, was uh, from uh, Dragnet. Um, the guy I'm trying to think of right now. I think his name was Frank. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, do, you know, do you know who I'm Friday? talking about? Not Frank Trevitt. We're not talking about the naked oh, guy. No, um, Sergeant Friday. Yeah, but no, no, not Sergeant Friday. His his partner, uh, Harry Morgan. That's who it was, and he was on Mash and everything else. Mash, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's how I was thinking. So yeah, Harry Morgan. I feel again because he has that kind of authoritative demeanor, even though okay, he's not, yeah, he's not Mister Adventure, super, you know, fantastic, you know, action star. But that's the point. He's an old grandpa now, and maybe he was young and dashing at the time, uh, you know, but. But now he's just an old guy on on his deathbed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'd want somebody a little frailer. Yeah, 
Now, the other question is, who's D.B. Cooper then? Who's who's our great villain mm. for this time frame, you know? See, I could see him. I could see Harry Morgan more as the villain because he seems to have a little bit more. I don't know. I don't. Oh, you, you think Harry Morgan should be the villain? I, I don't know. He strikes that's, me as. That's actually an interesting twist. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. He kind of looks like he's an aged version of the uh, the DB Cooper sketches. Oh, really? Okay. A little bit. All right. So let's flip that then. Let's say Harry uh, Harry Morgan then as as db cooper so he's our villain um and i feel like he would have to have some muscle with him so you know what i'm saying like i i feel like he would be the guy that you know he wouldn't be able to kind of hold everybody at bay so maybe he has like some tough guy with him that does you know the work of tying up the kids or whatever it is or we could just go with it. You know what? He set up all with the booby a, with traps, a crew so he more. knows what yeah. he's doing. He he knows how to trap these kids. It's not a physical thing. It was his cleverness. So maybe that's better, you know, so that he. It's just his his clever nature and his pre planning. So the kids have to outsmart him this time, right? Yeah. What about what about for the grandpa? Going back to the the grandpa. What about having Richard Donner do it? Wow. I don't know. I mean, would he have put himself go. in that type of role, though? I wonder. I don't know. I mean, like, for me, and I love when directors do that, where, like, that's a bold move, but it's not a very large role. But it's also, it's uh, Tarantino and, and uh, uh, Scorsese love to do this, where they're actually the pivotal character to the story. So it would be a bold move for a director to well, do. Well, the, the other question, that, though, is, is that was Richard work. Donner, I mean, he had white hair. But was he old enough to really play Movie a grandpa magic, that man. part? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Old him up and, you know. All right. Well, that's good. No, okay. Well, him. that's so, so Sloth Rich- him up a little bit, okay? <laughs> exactly. So Richard or Donner is grandpa. Harry Morgan is D.B. Cooper. And then the question is, is there anybody else that we've left out? I mean, do we want to cast the female love interests for the boys? Like who 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 are the girls they're, of that era? That they're would be their not age? really going to be exactly huge parts of the story. So it could just be unknowns. That yeah, get cast. Okay. Right. I mean, they might, and then of course, when this movie is made, then like, <clears throat> then they may no longer have been unknowns. But that was kind of the thing too with this movie. I mean, like, almost all of these kids came from nowhere. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That that's fine. Um. So we so we have that going for us. So now the the question becomes soundtrack. Just real quick. Now in my original concept, who was big in 1987? You know, for the kids. And you look at you know we had Cindy Lauper last time. I don't think it would be necessary to bring her back. I think they'd be looking for the next big thing because, and they'd say okay she was very 1985, but her her star has risen and and, and is on the decline. So I would say somebody more like uh, like Debbie Gibson. And so I would say like Debbie Gibson, she was kind of that star of the moment in '87. And there's a song like uh, of hers that's called "Only in My Dreams." And so I, I feel like that would be kind of like the originally it was kind of like with the romance angle of it. It could kind yeah, of be like the bit. love theme type idea. Okay. But it was poppy enough to be exciting and you would want to make a music video about it, you know. I I grabbed a bunch of bunch of songs from eighty seven and eighty eight that I was like I mean, granted they used the bangles in the first one. 
let's bring back the bangles and some dorky scene with the kids trying to walk like an Egyptian. Okay. Really? Yeah. Um, Granted, looking at it, looking at it back from, or looking back on it now from, from way back when we could Rick roll them. Um, I, I don't never going to give you know. up. Yeah. Yeah. Where would that fit? I like the I like Maybe the walk that's... like Egyptian thing better, though, because it would be just tie it to MTV. Yeah. And it's just a little moment where they're where they're messing around in somebody's living room and they're walking like an and, Egyptian. And that and... that could even be something that's like playing in the background and on a jukebox while they're at the restaurant or something right. ridiculous. Um, um, Wang Chung. Everybody have fun tonight could be like the credit scene kind of the, the only thing the about that one for me is that that because i i thought about that song too and i i was like you know what the problem is with everybody you know have fun tonight you know is that that's kind of that was for like the adult yuppies of that yeah. era that was their music that was cocaine fueled party music <laughs> and then the goonies are so not that you know yeah. it, and especially the setting of the town it's not an urban environment so i Definitely felt like that not. song just doesn't quite fit so that's why you got to keep it with like a solo singer almost or you know you just pop in the bangles for a second but everybody have fun tonight i just did i didn't See where that could fit. Uh, a couple others I threw in there. We've got Wanted Dead or Alive by Bon Jovi. Too serious. Yeah. And bon Jovi was too serious at that time because they were huge. Yeah. But I think they were too big for the movie, if that ah, makes sense. Right. Yeah. And not, not like. Because The Goonies was not a blockbuster. Enough, but yeah. Right. Yeah. Although that is the one thing, though, too, is that to keep in mind is that kind of like the natural plus or plus or, or pitch or whatever you want to call it is it like like again when you look at the poster is it definitely is steven spielberg presents the goonies a richard donner film like right there you've got whoa this is steven spielberg and richard donner those are big names in the 80s very so true. it's like bang bang right there it's a big time thing but of course they yeah want to emphasize that it's kids though okay well let's <laughs> Well, so, and Jeff, did you have any suggestions on your end, song-wise, that you felt like would fit? No, I'm, I mean, I'm usually more for the orchestrations, and, but yeah, just generally, I would feel that, it, you know, the, the original composer definitely had a, a, a spirited feel, and, you know, gave those kind of adventurous music, and, and I mean, still like that, you know, when you think of Data, and Data doing his like the the slick shoes and the stuff like that the the music that goes along with that per- perfectly fit that but it perfectly fit a child doing that so an adolescent doing that that would be the challenge for the orchestration is that okay so now like if data's still doing the same stuff it's not cute anymore it's kind of lame and it's kind of like all right you're 14 years old kid and this is kind of strange now yeah and so it changes it it changes a little bit what so it's like if they use, because what was it, the original guy? I hadn't heard of him before. It yeah, was, Dave uh, Grusin, I believe. Yeah. yeah. So if I thought it was same, like Bill Conti or somebody like that, right. but I don't even know. Yeah. If they got the same person again, that would be fine, as long as, yeah, he can kind of feel like, okay. As he can feel, make it a little more mature. Exactly. Feels going to be a little different. But, but I feel like because there was such an MTV tie to the first film with, with Cindy Lauper and doing the two-part music video and all of that, like they would still be chasing that. So I, I, I agree too that really it's the score for the film 
but then there will be those brief moments where they drop in them watching TV or listening to the radio yeah. or, or emulating the recent pop yeah. star. So I think just even though it doesn't quite fit, like Walk Like an Egyptian would be on the soundtrack, but it wouldn't be the single associated with the film. I yeah, feel like yeah. just because the Egyptian angle would just be totally off from from the premise of the film. But I, but I again, I, I think just... Debbie Gibson, Only in My Dreams. It's a little love ballad, you know? You throw that in there. A little power love ballad. Yeah, there. and then that, and again. Didn't Cindy Lauper write a couple of songs for the movie? Or at least based on the movie? Mm, well, just one. Goonies yeah, Goonies are good enough. The Goonies yeah. are good enough. Right. Well, I think they said that, what is it, the famous uh, octopus scene that was cut? You guys heard about the that oh, yeah, when they yeah. first get in there, there was supposed to be a whole they filmed an entire scene where they fight an octopus and they cut that out. I guess she wrote another song for that. Oh, and I, I toyed with putting the octopus in. It's like the octopus needs to get his due. Yeah. But, but I just felt like, you know, let's let's just let it go. So right. but yeah, okay. So um so yeah, well you know, we'll just kinda have a, a couple a couple hits in there and you know, we'll we'll go with that. Because like I say again the there's everything going on but the the kids story it's almost like in karate kid part two they have that peter satara song you know glory of love but daniel's love story is really not the focus of that movie it's mr miyagi's movie yeah but but they still made that the big single from the movie and it plays during the film so that's what i feel like you know this love ballad could be in the character moment for mikey getting the girl or whatever whoever has the strongest you know adolescent romance angle and that's what they focus on for the marketing but but you know as far as the song but everything else you know is just like fun poppy music that goes in there so now let's move in let's take a look at um the merchandising so what what kind of ideas are you having just for like actual merchandise and just to preface it i did do a little research there wasn't for the first film there was hardly any merchandising there were some coloring books yeah there were uh you know like there was a there was a board game and then there was actually a uh they like everything at that time there was a storybook and I've I've downloaded this. You can actually go to retrodays.org and find it, which uh, it's pretty amazing. Chunk narrates the story of the movie, <laughs> so it is actually you know it's actually the actor telling it, and he's great. Like it's so hilarious just hearing the story from Chunk's point of view. Wow, you know. So they had that, but like other than that, like there wasn't a whole lot of merchandise. So I feel like they would rectify that this time. They would put out well more because stuff. there's more things to build off of, like right. except for now you've switched your target audience though. Yeah, too. that's the tough part. But but I, I still feel like the the studios at the same time they they would still merchandise to younger kids because yes it's supposedly for high school kids are going to relate more. But remember when you were like ten and ten yeah. and eleven you idol like you watched Say by the Bell because you loved the older kids you you yeah. fantasized about being a high school kid so I feel like they would still be reaching that group like for me like the the number one thing that I because I feel like also they would rectify the fact that they didn't do anything in the first film so they I the one thing do you guys remember grow rocks that they were these little aquariums that you dropped these pebbles into and they were multicolored, yeah. and then they would grow up to like they were like stalagmites. Like they would like, stalagmites are the ones that grow up out of the ground, right? I think does anybody so. know? Does anybody really? I don't know? remember. 
but but like so but it would have the one-eyed willy pirate ship in there and then it you know they could grow up and you know it's like i feel like they would just slap a goon a goonies theme on that um and then i feel like um like my other my other concepts had to do with uh my original premise which is no longer in here so okay (laughs) so we'll let it go but did you guys have any ideas where you think they would want to take it I don't know something. I'm I'm betting there would be hey you guys sweatshirts, and I I thought at first I was like ooh sweatpants with like Goonies across the butt, and then I was like wait that didn't come into play until like the 2000s. Yeah, this isn't (laughs) juicy. The juicy wear, yeah. (laughs) But they would, and I mean like yeah, you're I mean sweatshirt sweatshirts with it across the front. I think the big one would be trapper keepers. You would Uh, definitely have Goonie trapper keepers. Right, that was my thing where, because the 80s were just at the end of, like, lunch boxes. But that's the problem is high schoolers don't use lunch boxes. Yeah, no. So I feel like, but I mean, if you're targeting younger kids, they might do it. I don't think it would be terribly successful. I'd focus on, like, school supplies, backpacks, trapper keepers. Pencils. pencils. Yep. And I do feel like they would come up with Bigfoot merchandise. Chunky so, racers. <laughs> but but I, feel, I feel like Bigfoot would be like the draw that they would use. They're like, you know, to, to coin, I think it's a more current phrase, but, you know, it's more toyetic. Yeah. You know, create Bigfoot toys. So, you know, and they would probably go with stuff that's already been created on some level, like Bigfoot slippers, you know, there'd be like. Or- it it depends. They might just take Chewbacca toys and remove the <laughs> the the gear and sell those as, there you go. as Bigfoot toys. Yeah, so. it's tough though because eighty seven eighty seven is actually the same year that Harry and the Hendersons did come out. So well, and it makes sense. It probably we would have been part of that zeitgeist. You know how like that yeah. happens where there's like multiple films that have the same basic premise. Yeah, you get Deep well, Impact I, and you get Armageddon. You know, within yeah. a year of oh, each yeah, other, same year. Whatever it was, but yeah, but that well, and it's because now I thought well, and, and maybe that would have to change then because I thought that Bigfoot was kind of like the chunk or the the sloth role where he was kind of an add-on. It wasn't the Goonies and the search for Bigfoot. Well, he but, is, but he's like the Boba Fett of the of this movie because he's the one. Ultimately, I believe that people are going to latch on to. They're like, "Oh, Bigfoot was the best" because he'd have to be played by like a pretty awesome actor. Like, and it doesn't matter who it is. Like, I mean, maybe it could be stunt casting. <laughs> Patrick Swayze, Joe yeah, Piscopo. Joe Piscopo. Get him out there. No, he's already coming. No, back we'll at just the get end. the guy from that plays Chewbacca to come in. <laughs> Peter get Mayhew. It, yeah, Peter get him a Mayhew. get him a All new things. costume. No, but but, but now. Outside of that, because, you know, we were talking about they could do the merchandising, but I feel like it's really like the promotional tie-ins is really when that was starting to kick in. Promotional tie-ins. Like you're talking like McDonald's toys and cups and collectible cups. And now I think I think Goonies was not high enough in in, you know, it wasn't E.T. level. So I feel like they would go to Burger King. So Burger King nah. would be handling the, the promotional tie-in for fast food. So I, I do feel like there would be the promotional glasses, definitely, because Burger King did a lot of stuff like that at the time. Promotional yeah, so you'd have, each kid would have their own glass. and yeah, Right, and then they would introduce the Bigfoot Burger. See, so you'd be able to have the Bigfoot Burger. And then I still, I, I still am going to pitch that in this premise at some point – they go over a waterfall, okay, 
and like you know they're coming over waffle and data has his hang glider thing so he's still that still comes into play so they would have in the the happy meal toy or the kids meal toy for burger yeah. king they would have like a data glider one of those like foam gliders oh, okay. that you put gotcha. together so data's body and then the wings you know that you put through so i think that would be like the toy that came with it and then probably like a big huh. foot foot stamp so you could do the stamps on yeah. the piece of paper stamps were so big back then oh pogs pogs didn't come till the 90s <laughs> yes. Three, yeah you're a few we're, years we're pre-pog <laughs> although that would be awesome but jeff any ideas for promotion because it doesn't have to be just the fast food like there could be like right. a promotion on a candy bar like you know and you win the sweepstakes or something along the lines of like you know uh, a department store maybe has a promotion yeah, I don't. I mean, I, I definitely feel like uh, a lot of Data's things would go well for, like, yeah, kids' meals, toys, and stuff like that. I would like to just just to jump back for a second. Just that, um, like, Goonies by no means. Like when it came out, Goonies was pretty successful. It was the top, like, in the top ten highest grossing movies of 1985. So it wasn't a flop by any means, but it definitely wasn't. You know the 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 where everybody was talking about it and everybody you know like like you said it wasn't marketed yeah pe- people didn't go to see it wasn't like star wars or et yeah. level where people saw it three or four times exactly. in the theater yeah but it was still a pretty big deal it, it, it was, was more not... of an acquired taste then i would agree yeah i mean i you know as i look at it just because it is technically like everybody knows about it but i do feel like it's it's just one hair away from being a cult film in certain regards, like the devotion people have to it because it's not like one of the standards where you just say, Oh, this is one of, you know, one of the great films of all time. Like it doesn't fall into that category, but it's like, Oh, it's just a, it's a cute film. It's a wonderful film. Like, you know, people like Goonies, you know, type thing, but it's not, it's not talked about, you know, on anybody's top, top 10 list in many cases. All right. So, I mean, I think we've pretty much done it. Um, I think we, we've successfully conceived the Goonies sequel that nobody saw coming. So with that, um, I want to thank everybody for listening. And uh, before we head out here, we will tell you you'll want to tune in uh, next week. It's going to be exciting. Uh, we do have a, a, a full schedule of these movies put together. To get updates uh, on the upcoming episodes and to just keep yourself informed in general, uh, you'll want to go to sequelquestpod.com. You can follow us on Twitter at sqpod. Okay, and there we'll be, you know, giving you the updates, recording times and everything else. You'll be able to kind of see the progress of the show. You can also uh, take a look at our Facebook page and join the conversation there. So just go ahead and search uh, for Sequel Quest Pod. Uh, You should be able to find it there as well. And uh, with that, we will uh, bid you farewell and we'll catch up with you next week. Quest on. I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sold on that tagline. (laughs) All right. We thank you for joining us for this episode of Sequel Quest P.O.D. We hope you'll return next time when we discuss another film that never was. For more made-up movie fun, visit SequelQuestPod.com to see the schedule of films to be discussed in upcoming episodes, fan art submissions, and more. Follow us on Twitter at SQPod and share your ideas on our Facebook page. 
The films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest POD are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. <laughs>